All right, everybody. Welcome to episode four of Non Sequitur Nerds. As always, I am Tim, joined by Ian. Ian, how's it going tonight? Hey, Tim. I'm going pretty good over here. Uh, we've got a really interesting show for you tonight. We do. Uh, we've, we've got a special guest with us today. Uh, it is actually my brother, Keenan. Uh, if you want to introduce yourself real quick. Hello there, everybody. I am Keenan, the younger brother to Ian, and I am going to be joining here to add my own non-sequiturs to your guys' podcast. We always need more of those. <laughs> yes, exactly. What were we talking about again? Anyway, for no those of you joining us tonight, uh, I wanted to let you know this is a very special episode. Not only do we have a guest with us, uh, but this episode is also probably going to run on the little longer side because there's three of us and we will be talking a lot. And oh, also yeah. we are going to be covering a topic that all three of us are very passionate about and we love to death. What are Wait, we what, covering tonight? We, we can talk about that on the air or, oh, oh, the other thing, the other thing. Well, you, you, don't worry, we'll edit that out in post. <laughs> <laughs> so Wait, I'm tonight, stuff? yes. So tonight we are going to be covering season two of The Mandalorian. So, if you aren't aware, I'm going to make sure this is said really clear right now, this episode will be filled with spoilers as we go through and talk about the latest season of The Mandalorian, which just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we so, should probably also preface it by saying, if you haven't watched season one, there will probably be spoilers for that, and if you haven't watched season one, what are you doing? Right. We should also preface that if you haven't seen season two, you need to either get on that or buy Disney Plus and power through it. It is absolutely worth it. <laughs> yes. So with that, folks, uh, we will give you a few seconds to pause the podcast, shut off the podcast, whatever you may want to do to avoid having a spoiler-filled evening. For those of you that either don't care, like listening to the melodious tone of my voice, or just want to sit and listen to us bullshit for the next hour, then please hang on with us. For everyone else, we will catch you next time, or whenever you get around to finishing Mandalorian. Do that now. And... Come and join us again. Good night, everybody. That's all, folks. <laughs> Alrighty, folks. For those of you that stuck with us, thank you for joining us tonight. We are going to be talking about The Mandalorian mm -hmm. Season 2. Uh, the season just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, each season's about eight episodes. So this season started off... Um, it kind of felt like it, it started off a little slow, a bit of a build. The first episode, though, was a good way to get the season started and start setting the tone. Yeah. So Mando returns to Tatooine. We run into a uh, Legends character, uh, Cobb Vance, who is... Uh, uh, actually, he's, I think, uh, part of the new Disney canon, but he was a part of a series of books called the Aftermath series that came out shortly after The Force Awakens. Which are very ah, good okay. books, actually. <clears throat> My apologies. So uh, we meet Cobb, who is also donning dun 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 Boba Fett's Mandalorian armor. And, and can I just say, like, when you see him walk into that bar, just seeing that armor on somebody, and you're like, oh my god, it's it's him. And then it he takes off his helmet at some other guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, this you first get that episode... tinge of nostalgia, and then you realize right. he really does not fit well in that armor. Whoever, <laughs> like, he lost a lot of weight over the past five years, apparently. Well, I mean, he's been being digested, you know? He's going to lose a little bit of weight. True. <laughs> yes. So, uh, we get to see uh, Cobb, we get to see Boba Fett's armor, and we get to see a fan... Uh, I don't know if it's a fan favorite creature or a, fan, or, or a much talked about creature in the Star Wars universe. A crate dragon. 
oh, something yeah. we've really only seen in extended media. Uh, and the, the real one that I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, the Bioware game from back in the early 2000s, uh, where you have to fight a crate dragon to get crate dragon pearls. That's the first time that I've ever remember, and the only time I remember seeing a crate dragon in media. Now, were they, it's been a while since I played KOTOR, were they that big in the game, or were they considerably smaller? They were considerably uh, smaller. Uh, they, I mean, they were large, for sure. They right. were probably the size of what you would think of, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good reference point. Probably, like, the dragons in Harry Potter, they were, like, that size. Like, you know, kind of your standard okay. European-style dragon. But they were, they I don't were. also remember them being, like, the the sandworms where they're yeah. living underground. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you think, I mean, that's, for, for that kind of environment, you know, a desert environment, That it kind of makes sense as a nice little, I don't even want to say necessarily an homage to another sci-fi uh, series, but still, I mean, you know, not, not what I expected, but I was happy with it. Right, yes. Yeah, I would agree. A good, uh, a good Dune reference, I think, is, you know, always you welcome. Dune was was highly, uh, you know, influential to George Lucas anyway. You know, his including of Spice Mines is, you know, a reference to the Spice Melange of, of that series. So I thought it was a nice little touch. Oh, I, I, I was going with Tremors, but that that works better. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, dude, Tremors. <laughs> Let's not get on that non sequitur. Oh, yeah. Uh, also another uh, sci-fi classic. Uh, check it out on Netflix. Uh, so, yeah, we get to see uh, Mando go up against a crate dragon in order to try to win back Boba's armor. Uh, as a Mandalorian himself, he can lay claim to the armor. Cobb is not a Mandalorian. Right. Uh, so in exchange for this, he in exchange for the armor, uh, Mando agrees to help Cobb get rid of the crate dragon that has been terrorizing their town for God knows how long. Moss... Uh, what was the town? Moss Espa or something like that? Moss... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's that sounds right. One of the mosses. <laughs> right. right. <clears throat> so, the, uh, the, they team up, uh, and then there's also another unlikely pairing in this, uh, chapter, where they bring in and actually pair up with the Sand People, who are yeah. an oft-maligned group, uh, most notable for attacking Luke in A New Hope. Uh, and for also attacking and killing Shmi Skywalker, uh, well, kidnapping and then ultimately causing the death of Shmi Skywalker in uh, Attack of the Clones, which they just uh, don't like the Skywalkers, do they? Apparently no. not. But they Granted, did. the Skywalkers don't like him back, especially since I'm <laughs> yeah. sure in the comics, Darth Vader becomes like this ghost, you know, boogeyman thing to the Sand People because whenever he goes to Tatooine, he slaughters a village just for the hell of it. Now, wasn't there, I think this was in Legends, wasn't there like a, a tribe of the Sand People that actually revered him as a god of sorts? Or am I thinking of something else? That that sounds sure about that. correct, but I don't know that for sure. But that does sound like a, something that would happen. Right. I mean, it's Star Wars. Right. Right, exactly. So, um, we now get partnered with Sand People, uh, and then they have a pretty epic battle with oh, yeah, the... Man. With the crate dragon, so uh, apparently something that I didn't know: crate dragons have acidic spit. Uh, so that's that's interesting and that's new. Um, that's a nice little flavor, and, right? And they're also quite intelligent. And I will say this: uh, I I love the callback to the uh, the death of Boba Fett 
when Mando takes the gaffy stick and hits the jet, hits uh, Cobb's jetpack and sends him flying off away out of harm's way. <laughs> that, yeah, that it was, was a nice, nice touch. <laughs> it was a nice homage to to that oft made fun of scene in Return of the Jedi. A big badass bounty hunter gets taken out by a blind guy with a stick. Uh, it also not, makes you wonder uh, why they haven't. Uh, that seems like a very serious design flaw that a little tap on the back of it causes it to uh, fly off. It's, it's yeah, not, it's I not don't know. Bug, maybe it's, it's a feature. Maybe it's just got a goofy ignition switch on it. Something that you know they might have to. It just never got fixed or you know never got noticed. I mean, I don't know how much Cobb's flying around in the desert, but true. I mean, uh, I mean, maybe maybe it's a feature that's intended to be there. Like if you know if if you're in a squad, you know if you're a bunch of Mandos, you're in a squad, and you know something's going to impact with one of your teammates, you can slap them on the jetpack real quick, get them out of the way. Or so I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm reaching here, but I don't know. That is yeah, point, I think I, I think you're kind of you're kind of <laughs> reaching around on that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, great episode, a good introduction to the series. Then we move on to the next episode, Chapter Ten, The Passenger. Well, you're, uh, you're this... forgetting about the the very end of that episode, though. Oh yeah, oh. the very huge moment. You know, you see is as uh, Mando's on his speeder heading back to well his ship. I I think it was. You see a figure kind of come up over a hill watching him, and you turn. He turns around, and uh, yeah, very, uh, very noticeable actor. I think he played this guy named uh, what was it, Jango Fett, in every single clone in the uh, prequel trilogy. <laughs> yeah, Tamara Morrison, yep. uh, the the New Zealander Maori uh, actor, uh, best known here in the states anyway for playing Jango Fett in the uh, prequel trilogy, uh, does appear. Very briefly in the episode, uh, seeing looking a little haggard and disheveled, but yeah, it was a, a nice, uh, it was a nice "oh my god" moment. But it was, uh, it was which now those, here, they they didn't mention him by name, you know, you you don't hear him speaking that, so it's one of those. Okay, is that Boba Fett? Is he playing somebody else? Is it a clone that somehow survived? Exactly. So they, yes. they, yeah, they leave it on that cliffhanger of we recognize the actor, but we don't know the character at this point. Right. So, I mean, I think most of us here were all thinking the same thing, going, is it Boba? It's gotta be Boba, but it could be a clone. But It, it was maybe totally a shaved Boba? Captain Rex. Totally a shaved Captain Rex. Yes, yeah. because we all know that, that, well, I mean, according to Star Wars lore, the mm -hmm. official lore from Star Wars recognized by Lucasfilm and Disney, Rex did survive... All the way through, fought in the Battle of Endor. If yep. you go back and watch Return of the Jedi, they kind of retconned this in. But there is a older, uh, older gentleman that's among the rebels who has uh, gray hair and a gray beard, and he's kind of tan skin. They have retconned and said that that is in fact Captain Rex uh, or Commander Rex. I can't remember what he finished off as, as his rank. Supreme but, General. I don't know. Yes. So that is in and of itself Rex. He does survive all the way through, participates in the Battle of Endor, and survives the Battle of Endor. So it is very possible that it could have been a shaved Rex, although throughout the entirety of Rebels, he was rocking a beard. So kind of hard to believe that he would have shaved, but, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he's got some Bantha Poodoo in his beard or something. <laughs> it could be, you know, it would be interesting, yeah, to see how many different clones survived and, you know, lived on in their own thing. And, and I mean, he looked so battle-torn, which, yes, obviously you could be like, Boba Fett probably would look uh, quite haggard, as you as you mentioned earlier, but it really was ambiguous enough that it's like, well, it could be a clone. I imagine clones would be pretty battle-scarred as well. Right. I know, like, yeah. the one thing, uh, like, clones genetically do age a lot quicker 
than uh well the normal people so i mean like rex you know in there and endor looking you know as as gray as he did he realistically wasn't as old as he looked but was genetically engineered to age quicker like that so i mean there's probably not a whole lot of clones left and if they are i mean they're you know the equivalent of like 70 year old or 70 to 80 year old men at this point very true but they still uh, although Robo. You know, Boba was an unaltered clone. That they did make sure to mention that in Episode Two. Yep. Uh, sorry, that's uh, Episode Two of the movies, the prequel trilogies, not Episode Two of the Mandalorian. <laughs> uh, in Episode Two, uh, Attack of the Clones, they did make mention that Boba is an unaltered clone, as that was Jango Fett's real one major request for offering his DNA to the the Grand Army of the Republic. I mean, it's a pretty you know pretty low end request. Do you think? Yeah, well, when you're a notorious bounty hunter and making money, zip dippity doo down all over the galaxy, you know, room, board, and a free kid. What, what can you say? <laughs> well, yeah, and it's not like much. it's costly the Camino or the uh, the Camino people, the cloners, to really create just another clone. And I mean, right. they don't even have to alter it. So I, I'm assuming they were just like, all right, we don't have to pay you any more money beyond your initial sum. I'm just imagining, I'm just imagining there's some Camino and, you know, uh, engineer sitting in a room and there's just, you know, a giant button that says copy and he's just sitting there pushing it over and over like a freaking uh, fax machine or something. <laughs> <laughs> just dead, dead eyed look, just staring at the wall, hitting this button all day. Well, I mean, you saw the Kaminoans. They're pretty dead eyed to begin with. Well, that's but... true. <clears throat> so, we wrap up episode one, uh, episode two, uh, as we said, uh, sorry, chapter 10, The Passenger. Uh, this is Mandalorian, um, find a ferry, uh, a charter that uh, he needs to deliver to a planet to help him find a, uh, other Mandalorians. So uh, his charter, uh, this episode, I think was, I don't know, I think most people were kind of torn about this one, really. I mean, in, in one aspect, it was kind of neat. We go back to an ice planet. You know, we see uh, ice spiders, the, the characterization of the the, the fairy charge, uh, who is a, uh, for lack of a better term, we'll call her frog lady, uh, is transporting her eggs back. Um, but then the really <laughs> dis decisive part is the child continuously eating her offspring <laughs> well i mean it's 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 established somewhere that that whatever that species is we still don't have a name for it they are omnivores i mean they'll they'll eat plants but they're more prone to eating meat you know hence the sharp little teeth they have so it makes sense that he's doing that but at the same time it's like no stop eating the babies <laughs> bad grogu and I just remember uh, watching that whole episode, and the entire time I was just dumbstruck by like he's a little monster. He's uh, <laughs> he's eating the eggs of sentient beings, which I mean, I guess we see in Star Wars they eat sentient beings, or at least semi sentient. You know, like the little Kowakian monkey see on right. like spits all the time. But at the same time, it's still very odd. Like he was very cute, and it's one thing when he's eating little frogs. It's another thing when he's eating the unborn children of a species that apparently it's the end of their line we don't know if the species itself is dying but at least that particular family's line is you know in jeopardy of right. disappearing ah yeah genocide. and uh, <laughs> yes genocide it's delicious mm, apparently <clears throat> so the the episode it, in my opinion felt a little slow it, it was there wasn't i mean it was Good exposition, I think, but it, there wasn't a lot going on. Some of the action was a little slow. The story it felt itself felt a little slow, and it, to me, it was just kind of a um, 
it was an okay episode. I think I'd maybe give it a, you know, a seven out of ten if I'm if I'm ranking them amongst other Mandalorian episodes. No, uh, I, I, you know, the really the most interesting part to me was the fact that we found out that Baby Yoda's a, a genocidal little monster. Now, one one thing that was neat, those spider creatures, I don't remember what that uh, creature is called, but th- that's the same species that you see in uh, Star Wars Rebels. Yes, yep. yes, that yes. was a that was a callback to Star Wars Rebels. Uh, it's and... also an interesting callback because they were created origi- originally. Uh, they're based off of uh, Ralph McQuarrie concept art for uh, Empire Strikes Back for visiting Dagobah. They were supposed to be a species of spider that were just chilling out in the background in the swamp. Really? Uh, but it was it ended up never being used. But when they made Rebels, they uh, took that concept art and they reincorporated it into uh, those creatures. Now, like I, I will say, like in Rebels, I mean, yeah, they, they were creepy. They were big spider things. Seeing them, you know, in a, in a more realistic depiction, I mean, th- those things are, they're horrifying, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the mouth looks like, a, for lack of a better term, vagina with teeth. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say a butthole with teeth. But yeah. <laughs> well, all right, I, I guess you guys are going to be the ones to say it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we, we say we say it and we, we yeah, we'll just, we'll you, just own it. You stand by your, your buttholes and vaginas with teeth. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So it, it know, had a very alien feel as well, um, you know, with the little eggs everywhere and then oh, very like much splitting so. the egg open. And uh, it, it had that horror feel, obviously, with them chasing them. It was very much a, a space horror kind of vibe toward the end of that episode, which I thought was neat and an interesting uh, direction to go. And also not the only aliens reference that pops up in this season, but we'll get to that later. Now, the one yes. thing that I, that I thought was kind of weird, I mean, the, the Star Wars, you know, Star Wars in general, always tries to paint the Republic to be, you know, the upstanding ones, the good guys, you know, the, the pinnacles of what, what we should be to be good. But yet you see, at the very end of it, you see that the two rebel pilots that he encountered at the beginning, you know, find him and they're like, well, you know, you're, un- you're supposed to be under arrest, but you did some stuff that we like, so we're just going to let you go. And they can clearly tell that his ship is probably not the most sound vessel at this point and they just leave like no you know hey you know we can get you in radio contact you can take care of your stuff no help of any kind they just all right uh well you're free to go for now bye he could i think we probably they they could have died on that planet you know they very well could have but uh you know think of it i guess maybe as a new age version of a bribe Uh, i don't know you know, we save your ass from giant space spiders. We're not going to arrest you. Uh, we're going to kind of turn a blind eye, but I guess that means we have to literally turn a blind eye to everything and, you know, we were never here type thing. I think it yeah, serves it as true. a way to establish that the New Republic is really just quite weak and still trying to get its bearings. That they don't have, like, they're probably supposed to patrol a very large sector of the Outer Rim. And they just don't have the time to help this citizen out. And so we're like, we got to peace out because we got other things that we need to do. And I think it shows maybe also, like Tim was alluding to, the rebels that, you know, eventually become the New Republic are always treated as these, you know, purely good uh, people that we want to root for. But perhaps, but we saw in Rogue One that they had to do some kind of dark things. Oh, yeah. And perhaps these people are, are just like that, too. I mean, they're just, they're people. They're not perfect, even though we think of them as the good guys and they had their own business that they needed to do. That's a good point. All right, gents, anything more on the passenger? I think we kind of covered most of the stuff there. 
Yeah, there wasn't a, a whole lot more than that that I that I can think of anyway. No. I will add real quickly that I did enjoy the uh, brief return of the droid Zero from the Prison Break episode, because the frog lady uses uh, his parts to create a uh, translator so she oh, could yeah, actually clearly communicate with him, and I thought that that was enjoyable. I, I liked that droid and his brief appearance, uh, and it was kind of fun to see him again. Yep. All right, well, if we're done with that one, then uh, the next chapter is Chapter 11, The Heiress. Uh, this sees... Uh, Mando arrive on a water planet in a excessively beat up Razor Crest. I, I, I which love appears I love the to be landing. a theme, right? Which <laughs> appears to be a theme in Mandalorian is that you know is that Din's ship just gets the crap beaten out of it yes. constantly. Uh, yeah, so it has a kind of a rough water landing. We uh, we we meet a, a Mon Calamarian in a cardigan that uh, <laughs> is willing to. Uh, you know, help him fix up a ship and, you know, pays him some credits to, to fix up a ship. And then he goes off to find uh, other Mandalorians. That is, after dropping off uh, his his charge, uh, the frog lady, and what's left of her offspring. I mean, she, she didn't seem to notice that that many were missing, so... Yeah, they. I mean, they had... I think she had maybe a hundred of them. So I, I guess when you wind up finishing the day with 85, you probably... <laughs> 85 in your life after escaping ice spiders, then you're probably not going to... You chalk that up to a win. Right. Yeah. So she meets up with her husband. Uh, they tell Mando where he can find some other Mandalorians. And, you know, off he goes to, to find the Mandalorians. And this episode is where we get to see something that fans have been waiting for for a long time. A new live-action Darth Maul? Not quite. Oh. Very, very close. In this episode, we see the first live action appearance of Bo-Katan, who uh, in, is a uh, returning character from uh, the not only the Clone Wars animated series, but also Rebels, uh, played in both of those series by Katie Sackhoff, who is probably best known for her portrayal of, I believe, Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I'd I say, believe that is correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Katie Sackhoff played that character in the animated versions, and she appears on screen to play Bo Katan in live action. So which, this which kind was of a nice, little, yeah, nice little circle. thing. And surprisingly enough, or funnily enough, uh, Dave Filoni, who is one of the executive producers on this series, and also uh, was one of the the masterminds behind uh, the Clone Wars uh, and some of those characters. Uh, apparently told Katie Sackhoff 10 years ago when she first came in to, to do that character. is like, wouldn't it be really kind of funny and awesome if we got to, if we got to play her in real life? And <laughs> apparently Katie Sackhoff kind of, you know, laughed about like, yeah, you know, that'd be kind of cool. Never going to happen though. Uh, so, you and know, here we are. right. Full circle. Katie Sackhoff apparently was ecstatic to play the character on screen and does it very well. I mean, yes. you've been playing a character for 10 years. You, you've got those mannerisms down. Yeah. Like, there's no there's no training or you know extra work that you need to do. You have played this character from their inception. Oh yeah, and she, and she continued her amazing performance into live action easily. And it must have been very an interesting transition to go from the voice acting to the live action acting. And I mean, I obviously if you ever watch people do voice acting recordings, they they get their whole body into it. They don't oh. necessarily treat it any different than regular acting, but it still must have been um, an interesting transition to then put on all the makeup and the, the 
her night owl Mandalorian body armor and actually get to fully incorporate all of that physicality along with her voice. Oh yeah. Well, said so I will say like uh, another fun little uh, uh, character in there. You see uh, some of the other Mandalorians that Bo-Katan is with. One of them, if there's any wrestling fans listening to this, is played by none other than Sasha Banks, who is, as far as I know, did all of her own stunts in this, which makes sense being a pro wrestler. Yes, and in later episodes, and I think in that episode too, you see a few of her wrestling moves come out. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, Tim, I'll, you're you're a big WWE fan, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I imagine that was probably a nice uh, that was a nice little nugget for you. Oh yeah. Well, when when I first heard, like I. You know, there have been rumors flying around of this person is cast for Mandalorian, this person is cast, but, you know, at first they didn't say who anybody was cast as. I know a lot of people were thinking, oh, Sasha Banks. Well, you know, she usually has, you know, like, bright, vibrant colored hair. You know, maybe she's playing an older uh, Sabine from Rebels. But yeah, as, as we find out, that ends up not being the case. Uh, she's just another Mandalorian who serves under Bo-Katan. Yes, uh, whose character's name, I believe, is Casca. Casca Reeves. Thank you. Yes, yeah, the, Koska name, the name escaped me. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, Mando finds his Mandalorians, and, uh, you know, we find a little bit more information about, you know, why Bo-Katan's there, what she's doing, uh, what she's been up to. Apparently her, you know, to give a brief synopsis, she's uh, basically trying to uh, build an army to take back Mandalore uh, after it was raised and... Um, you know, raised and taken over by the Empire, and she was kicked out. So she's working on trying to do that. And to do that, she also has to go after Moff Gideon, who we haven't mentioned in, uh, at, uh, on this podcast yet, was the big bad from season one, uh, yep. played by none other than Breaking Bad's Giancarlo Esposito, uh, who was Gus Fring. So I can't think of anybody better to play a sadistic, maniacal bad guy yeah well see he did such a good job i mean because he was he was very methodical in every single thing he did but he was also obscenely composed in it you know just his mm-hmm. de- his demeanor he nailed it well see, and, and and also in, in the the meeting of mando with the other mandalorians we do also get a bit of an explanation about the whole the whole helmet thing which has been kind of a a thing since season one of, well, why can't the Mandalorians take off their helmets? We've seen them take off their helmets before. They finally kind of explain that, that the the newer style Mandalorians, they, they take off their helmets. That Mandalorians that don't follow the, the old traditions. Yeah, they're also yes. kind of considered a bit of a cult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. They, they're, he's referred to as being a part of the Children of the Watch, which seems to be a splinter group off of the Death Watch, which were, of course, featured in Clone Wars and uh, Star Wars Rebels uh, as being kind of like a pro-militant uh, Mandalorian terrorist group that uh, Very Bo-Katan so. was a briefly a part of. Yeah, that's true. She was. Right, which, uh, fun little nugget for you folks. Uh, the leader of uh, Death Watch in the uh, Rebels TV... Rebel, uh, I'm sorry. In the uh, Clone Wars TV show was a, a character named by Pre Vizsla who was voiced by Jean Favreau who is the executive producer and one of the main writers and directors of The Mandalorian. So he's been actually doing stuff with Star Wars for quite a long time, and known Dave Filoni as well for quite a long time. See, I, I forgot he did the voice for him. I completely forgot Yeah, he that. also, uh, in season one, he also does the voice of uh, the big Mandalorian that has the minigun in oh, the very yeah, first yep. episode, uh, who's also known... Yeah, who's also known as Vizsla. Uh, that's his the, the character's last name. I don't remember what his first name is. 
but uh, supposedly unrelated to uh, previous love from the Clone Wars. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe that when we see it. That, that seems yeah, like too, we'll just that assume like that Bizla is a common... It's the Smith or Miller of uh, Mandalorian <laughs> last names. Yep. <laughs> I can see that. Yep. So, uh, this episode, we see Mando, uh, you know, through some happenstance, teams up with Bo-Katan and her team, and they wind up uh, going after a Imperial, I guess, uh, transport, uh, I think is what it yeah. is, in order yeah. to steal some weapons for her uh, for her campaign uh, to take back Mandalore. Uh, by doing this, uh, Bo-Katan uh, agrees to tell uh, Mando where he can find a Jedi. And yeah, and they leave it on that nice little cliffhanger too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they they leave it with her name dropping the Jedi specifically. Like once yeah. they complete their mission, and they well, actually, a couple things happen. Once they get to the cockpit, um, Bo-Katan interrogates this officer who was going to suicide drive the transport into the ocean. Uh, reveals that uh, you know Moff Gideon is still in possession of the dark saber, and then after that, she reveals that the Jedi is none other than Ahsoka Tano. Which, I mean, yeah, when, when she drops that, I'm like, holy crap. Yes, which for the casual viewer that's never watched Clone Wars or Rebels, are like, okay, just another name. But right. if you're one of those people that actually stuck with, you know, a lot of Star Wars extra media and content, you got that nice little nugget of, oh my god, yes! Yep. So it was a it was a good episode. It oh, gave yeah. us a lot of fan service, and it it gave us another cliffhanger ending, which is apparently a favorite within this season. Well, I mean, what better way to get to keep people watching if you give them all the answers, you know, right in that episode? It's like, oh well, you know, I I can just skip the rest of it. You want to keep them going, keep them coming back. Oh sure, but I mean, it, there there's some series that you know kind of prescribe to the the serialized versions or the more episodic versions, villain or, of the week type you know, stuff. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, we we know that there's an overarching theme in Mando. I mean, we saw that in season one. We're kind of seeing it at this point in season two. We understand, you know, the main goal is for Mando to find uh, the child, a Jedi to train, uh, train him. I, I mean, we assume it's a him at this point. We don't really know otherwise. He's referred to the, the child's always referred to as a boy, so. I'm just going to assume it's a boy and for the sake of... Hopefully they did check under his little uh, cloak there. <laughs> right, you know, he, showed, uh, he bent over and showed him his dark side. Mm, like my green thing, don't you? Wow. Remember to get your Grogu spayed or neutered. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we kind of wrapped up see, uh, episode 11, chapter 11, The Heiress. Uh as Mando gets his ship, uh, the Razor Crest, it's in at least a flyable condition. I mean, uh, if, I, I, at the minimum, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, it has some it, extra you... uh, Mon Calamari or Quarren decorations in it. Right. Well, so like we part, see... yeah, part of the repairs are them throwing up fishing nets over the windshield. I mean, because th that'll make it structurally sound, right? right? And leaving a space squid to almost attack <laughs> uh, Baby Yoda. It's fine. It's, it, that, that's air fresheners. Yeah, yes. exactly. So, uh, we see Mando leave this water planet with uh, the busted-up Razor Crest and the child in tow, and then head off into the sunset, uh, a la, you know, old westerns. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, then next episode, Chapter 12, The Siege. 
Uh, we see Mando return back to the town that he uh, so quickly uh, shot up and then left uh, in uh, the first season of Mandalorian. Uh, and we see him actually join forces with some old faces, uh, some old friends. Uh, we see the triumphant return of Grief Karga, played by Carl Weathers, uh, the basically the guild master that uh, we saw in season one. And we also see the return of Cara Dune, played by Gina Carano, who's quickly become a fan favorite uh, yes, with her I, cool, I yes, yes, with her cool, super awesome. cool oh, yeah. attitude, her kind of laissez-faire, her one-liners. She's very much a, a very strong female character uh, within the Star Wars universe. So uh, we see Mando um, <laughs> drop in, so to speak, into this town <laughs> as the the Razor Crest once again has another hard landing uh, and establishes. How is that ship you know, still standing at this point? <laughs> right. So we see him, uh, you know, kind of, kind of pick up and uh, join, join Mando. So, uh, you know, with that, we also see another character return that I don't think we really expected to see return. And and Keenan, I know you you're a big fan of this this character. Uh, do you wanna do you wanna provide the introduction on this one? Uh, are you speaking of uh, Mithril? Yes, I am. Yes, Mithril, who is played by uh, Saturday Night Live alum Horatio Sands, who, of course, uh, for people that have been watching The Mandalorian, would be uh, Mando's first bounty that he picks up in the very first scene of the very first episode, who, uh, you know, as last we saw, was uh, fated to uh, go way of Han Solo and gets frozen in carbonite. Because apparently after five years, that tactic was became uh, very well known throughout the bounty hunting galaxy, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I mean, he if, pops if back once. up again. Yeah, right. So he pops back up again, Mithril, uh, now uh, forced to pay a, a life debt, essentially, to uh, Grief Karga. He's uh, trying to pay off his uh, the money he stole. And I guess he had a sentence of uh, 350 years he has to work off? Something like that. I, I don't quite... Hello? Yes. Uh, I, th- I think we lost Ian. Oh no, he's disappeared. Well, you know, last secretary week... and accountant. Oh, hey, now. Ian, you're back. No, hey. I'm still here. Oh, that yeah, was odd. I could hear you guys just fine. <laughs> I was gonna say, oh god, his computer blue screened again. That's two weeks. No, ago. we'll just we'll just chalk it up to technical difficulties. Sorry about that, folks. Again, we'll <laughs> maybe edit that out in post. Probably not. Tim's a lazy nah. editor. Editing. I just hit the record <laughs> button and go. One and done. Just maybe. Some, like, an- just add some annoying like blue, uh, like white noise kind of thing at that moment. Just me. <laughs> Oh, we lost Ian again. Yeah, we'll start throwing in some of the old uh, the old sound effects. <laughs> so yeah, we see the return of Mithril. Um, the general p- plot of this episode is, uh, besides Mando showing up on the planet to try to get his ship fixed again, again, uh, you know, he's looking for help uh, from from Cardoon from. Uh, uh, grief Karga, and uh, they they say they're you know they're, they're willing to help him if he provides some help to them, which again kind of a running theme in the in the in this show. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours type thing type thing. It's a bartering system. Uh, we works. all know that we all know that imperial credits don't aren't worth anything anymore. So, uh, you know the the target this time. You know the episode's called the siege. So what are they going to do? They're going to go attack an imperial fortress. I mean, like you do. Yeah, which is conspicuously uh, never uh, 
addressed and whatnot in you know the end of season one. You would th- and it seems to not be terribly far away. You would think yeah. this very large facility would have played a very large role in the end of that season, and that they've just left it there for whatever reason. Well, I mean, do you think well, do you think that's where uh, Gideon was holed up uh, before he showed up in uh, season one? I mean, based, based on, on the way know, the episode, it. based on the way the episode pans out, I would say probably. I mean, we see an awful lot of stormtroopers show up to whatever town this is that they live in at the end of season one very quickly. Yeah, uh, you yes. know, they show and up very in shiny and all the and all the troops at the uh, at this fortress in this uh, the siege episode are seem to be having you know uh, well maintained and looked after armor. Yeah, that's so that's very point. likely could come from the same area. I mean, it just yeah, they do pop in real quick. Right. So, uh we see our intrepid uh foursome. I'm just going to go with foursome because I can't think of any other better name. Uh foursome going to this uh base which apparently is at the edge of a volcano or a lava pool or something like that. I don't know. Apparently it's, the base like the a great place. Right. The well, I mean, geothermal power. The canyon uh, that the the base is built at the very top of has a, an elevator down to it, and apparently the canyon floods every so often with lava. Anyway, uh, so the the More duo go goes. and right, the duo goes and uh, we see Mando use his uh, new trusty shiny jetpack, which we've seen him use uh, periodically since receiving it. Uh, in order to help them infiltrate the uh, the facility, and surprisingly to me, they actually had mi- they actually drag Mithril along with them. Uh, I figured he was just going to be kind of you know like the the getaway driver where they they make him stay with the the speeder, but I think they do actually address that in kind of a funny way. Right. Uh, so, well, they'll, they 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 uh, knock some uh, time off of his uh, sentence for helping them. Yes, they keep saying, "I'll knock." Uh, 50 years, 30 years if you keep doing these things. And so he very begrudgingly is like, okay, I guess. I got nothing better to do. Yep. So our plus fear of being in this, the uh, canyon fills with lava kind of encourages him as well. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe a little. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So as our as our our band of merry men lays siege to the fortress, uh, you see them slowly moving throughout it. And we start getting a little bit of an idea of some of the stuff going on um, in with at least Gideon's forces and what Gideon's trying to do. Uh, they find a recording of the Doctor from the first season yep. uh, talking about uh, cloning technology. And you actually see them walk by some bays that have deformed creatures in them, which we assume, I mean, I have to assume are failed clones. So you could say maybe That's this happens to... Right. You know, this harkens to the new sequel trilogy and uh, with, you know, maybe this is the, you know, how we start seeing Snoke and and the return of uh, you-know-who. Yes, and in Pershing's message to Moff Gideon, uh, we also hear a slight reference to something that is a little divisive among fans. (sighs) Uh, He refers to it as an M count, but of course we all know what that M stands for. Money. Medichlorians. Yes. (laughs) Yes, the, the, the child is the highest money count we've ever seen. I mean, that's, yes, that's a very Disney count. thing. Yep. Well, see, and, and so, it, somebody was saying that in, in the scene where it pans over the whatever they are in the, the tubes there, that you hear uh, a snippet of Snoke's theme play in the background ever so slightly. And like, I, I truth, truth be told, I haven't gone back to rewatch it to see if that's the case, but I've heard several people say that. 
Yes, I've also heard that too. So, and I mean, it, it, as Tim said when he coughed, uh, <coughs> Snoke, it, they have that very deformed but humanoid look. I mean, it's very difficult to see the bats themselves, but they, they definitely have that vibe. Yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, we get that, that nugget, but I think of more importance to this episode is a question that fans have had for, well, since the very first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, came out, which is, why don't the Imperials use guardrails? You know, that, that, that's something that, I don't know if it's just an aesthetic choice, or if they just need to get a new architect for all their stuff, they really need guardrails. Yeah, they, they hate that, and they always build, like, gigantic cavernous pits around everything as well. So yeah. it's like, not not only are you just not having you know, basic safety precautions, you know, OSHA would be all over them, but it's oh, just yeah. like, you're doing it in the most dangerous of places possible, you know, and look at how narrow the, the walkway was for Mithril to go and mess with this control panel. They, they don't care. Like, it'd, be, it'd be one thing if like, it was a large platform that was raised, like, you know, two feet off the ground, like, okay, you know, somebody might twist an ankle, whatever. But yeah, like you said, <laughs> They just, like, all right, we call this the death trap room. Well, that's what the last five have been called. Well, you're starting to see a theme here, guys. You know what you signed up for. I think it points to the fact that the Empire is cheap. You know, they <laughs> mass produce things, and they're like, I don't, I don't give a crap about building guardrails. That's irrelevant. Stormtroopers are cannon fodder anyway. It's very true. Well, I think it also harkens back, really. To, I don't know that we can 100% blame the Empire. We could probably blame Palpatine for it, though, because... If you go back and look at shows like The Clone Wars, the the TV show The Clone Wars, inside the Star Destroyers, none of the catwalks have guardrails either. None of the none of the facilities in the in the Star Destroyers back then have any kind of guardrails or anything like that. People just walk around freely. Apparently, I don't know, maybe there's grav boots or something in the in this future that just nobody uses. I don't Good, good. Save the credits and not put in guardrails. Good. Maybe we should also blame the Kaminoans, because I'm assuming they're the ones that helped design the early uh, Acclimator and Venator-class Star Destroyers. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm trying to remember if there's really any guardrails on Kamino, and honestly, sadly enough, my my memory more harkens back to Star Wars Battlefront 2 when you play on Kamino. They go. I mean, Django and and Obi Wan end up just sliding right off the edge of one of those things, and it's constantly raining and slick. So (laughs) it's it's fine. Well, I mean, and if a Camino one falls, I assume they're aquatic, so just fall in the water and they'll they'll be all right. I guess. I mean, they have those weird feet. Maybe they have like suckers on the bottom of their feet, and they just kind (laughs) of they're kind of like a gecko or something. Well, they also (laughs) walk so slowly and uh, and uh, like. gracefully maybe they just have supreme balance in their long weird spindly heads <laughs> i mean this is this is very fair so yeah i mean we see you know the the question the question is still asked why don't the imperials use guardrails and i think even some of the stormtroopers make comments about that as they're trying to trying to uh ward off their the 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 folks laying siege to their fortress um I'm trying but, to yeah, think of a so, single, single time that I've seen guardrails in Star Wars now. This is going to keep me up tonight. <laughs> well, you know, I think, honestly, we, the only yeah. thing I could think of is maybe on like the the base that the um, 
Separatists were staying on on Mustafar. I think there were some guardrails until Obi Wan and Anakin walked off on the like giant metallic arm thing. No, no I, I can think of one on uh, Geonosis, the uh, battle arena scene. There is a guardrail up where uh, Dooku and all of them are standing. I think that's uh, just a balcony box. I don't know that that counts as a guardrail. It keeps them from it's falling something. off. It keeps them from falling it's off. A, it's not like just an open, yeah, flat balcony. So <laughs> I get, yeah, I'll count that. All right, thanks, all right, all right, well, that, that's a win for me. I'll take it. We'll allow it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so uh, you know, we the the goal of their their goal of their mission was to destroy the base. They initiate some kind of reactor failure, lava, boom, boom stuff. You know, goes up in flames. They escape on a uh, military transport and get you know get chased, uh, and ultimately wind up back in. Uh, Back in town, where you know Mando's ship is now fixed up, the Razor Crest is basically brand new. Now, I, Yay! I, will say, I did like that chase scene. That was very well done. Yes, yeah, it was very fun, and included a th- callback to you know they did it in season one, but obviously it's a callback to Return of the Jedi, Scout Troopers, and the speeder bikes, <laughs> um, and then uh, which apparently they're not very good at driving because one immediately crashes and dies. Yeah. And they're like just launching off the base, which I, I'm like, this show really has a, a, a hate boner is the best word I can think <laughs> of for stormtroopers. Like I know that it's a joke that they're not effective, but man, are they just like bumbling three stooges kind of people. That, that guy's last words were check this out. <laughs> check this cool <laughs> trick, cool, uh, cool trick. And then just blows up. Hey man, hold my spotska. <laughs> hold my blue milk <laughs> so yeah the chase scene was really cool um one of the things that i thought was really interesting from a behind the scenes perspective is carl weathers actually directed this episode really so yeah, yeah i didn't know i didn't know if you saw that in the credits or not carl weathers himself directed episode uh the chapter 12 of the siege uh and directed and starred in it uh you know he, I thought it was a very well done episode. The yeah. action was just right. The humor was there. It was one of those episodes that I, you know, I really felt good about. Even though there wasn't a whole lot of information that's given out. I mean, there's little bits and pieces to kind of you know move the story along. This kind of felt like a good, good solid mid season you know feel good episode. You know, just kind of single yeah. on its own episode. Very much. As a whole, The Mandalorian is a is a show that is very good at when they have tangential side quest type episodes. <clears throat> they're still very entertaining to the point that you sort of don't care that they're not necessarily progressing the main uh, narrative arc that much because at least they're fun and they're and they're you know respectful to Star Wars lore and have good action and humor and stuff. So this one was a I think one of the better examples i'd say better than the second episode of the season that included the ice planet like that was a side quest one as well and it was okay like you said it was kind of slow though this one was fast-paced and you know kept things going so it was enjoyable man i I think i think now that you said now that you said side quest i realize now why i i didn't really care for the second episode so much it was a giant escort mission and for (laughs) anybody that has played a video game everyone knows that escort missions suck at least he wasn't given a fetch quest. Well, yeah. <laughs> I no, need I mean, you that... to bring me five womp rat pellets. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. So yeah, uh, uh, to me, actually, one of the better the the better things about this episode was also the ending, where 
the same two starfighter, uh, you know, uh, X-wing pilots that have appeared in previous episodes show up again in whatever the city is to, and start talking to Cara Dune, who is a former rebel drop drop trooper. Uh, you know, and they they talk about you know if she wants to go legit and join as a marshal, uh, join the New Republic as a marshal. So it kind of leaves Which, her with a, a, a bit of a dilemma in my in my mind. And, and I think it was also, uh, I mean, we'll get into this more with the uh, the next episode mm-hmm. as well. But uh, this the series is done, a, you know, ultimately serves as a jumping off point uh, for a lot of the new shows that were announced on oh, yeah. uh, Disney Investor Day. And I think these two uh, uh, fighter pilots from the New Republic are probably going to reappear, I'm assuming, in the show that was announced, The Rangers of the New Republic. And I think they're trying to kind of get them in there. And I hope that's the case. And I hope that Dave Filoni's character, because he plays one of the other pilots whose official name is Trapper Wolf, which I think is a hilarious uh, name as well. Um, I could see Dave Filoni in his little cowboy hat being like, what would be a cool name? Trapper Wolf. Trapper Trapper Wolf was a renegade starfighter. (laughs) So... (laughs) So I think it was a good, uh, it does bring an interesting point to Cara Dune and, you know, a conflict with her. But I do think it's a little bit of a backdoor way of kind of getting that show started. And also potentially teasing that maybe Cara Dune will play a large role, if not a starring role, in that show. Hmm, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, that could be. Well, as we uh, wrap up Chapter 12 of the Siege, uh, the next episode is one that I think we're all going to really, truly geek out about. Oh, yeah. So, Chapter 13, dun, 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 the Jedi. Now, this episode opens to probably some of the biggest fanfare uh, that could possibly have been had in, uh, you know, Star Wars fandom. Uh, not I wouldn't say the biggest, but certainly pretty big fanfare. Uh, this this episode opens on kind of an unnamed planet. Kind of actually looks a little bit like Mustafari, you know, really kind of hazy, brownish. You know, dead trees everywhere. Yeah, dead trees everywhere. But, you know, I'll cut to the chase. This is where we see the first appearance of live-action Ahsoka Tano. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Not like the one, like, I'm surprised that they just, they dropped that immediately off the bat. Like, it's, you know, I figured, all right, there's going to be a little bit of build up. You'll see her maybe halfway through, but no, no, it opens up focused on her, <laughs> which is, I'm not, I'm not opposed to. I was just surprised. Well, not only is she, is it focused on her, but it's focused on her being a badass. Yes. Lightsaber fighting through the forest, cutting down enemy troops, just with like no effort. No effort. Just going whole ham on these guys. Yeah. And it was very uh, well done. It was uh, the choreography throughout uh, that this particular episode is well done to show um, kind of the uh, grace and uh, athleticism that she has in the cartoons and translating it in a realistic way. And it was also very similar to the prequels and how they had the very acrobatic, flashy lightsaber uh, fighting styles, which we haven't seen you know, since the prequels came out, uh, the fight, the lightsaber fighting was much more heavy handed in the sequels. And obviously it makes sense. Ahsoka would fight that way since she's from that era. Now, now in, in, in your guys kind of, you know, segueing off of that, what do you guys prefer more? Do you prefer the, like the prequel style of lightsaber fighting or the original trilogy style? 
Well, for me, the original trilogy was obvious. It holds a special place in my heart because it was obviously the first introduction I had to Star Wars. It was, you know, it's it's just got that gravitas to it. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, it's who knows, maybe it won't age so well in another 40 years, but probably to me, I probably won't care. My kids will be <laughs> watching stuff in like 5D and I'll still be watching my old Star Wars Blu-rays. <laughs> anyway, but the fighting in the first in the first trilogy um i think is a little bit more classic uh, don't know that i'd say fencing but a dueling style yeah. i mean all of the fighting is mm-hmm. based off of you know based off of real martial arts and really more samurai kendo type uh sword fighting so the the styling and the way they hold their sabers and all that other stuff is all based on you know like the samurai so uh it's a little bit more wooden i think in the first one you know it's it's very much uh, you know, swing a few times and then back off and then swing a few times and then back off. There's no like extended fights in the first trilogy and maybe it's just a budgeting and technology thing. And then, right. and the, and then, and then the prequel trilogy, it was much more extended. There was longer fights. It was more fluid. Uh, I, I think the grace. Very, very there. matrixy. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, I think there was a lot of grace to the, the prequel trilogy, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know if I have a preference. I, I would say that the original trilogy fight style was, I think, for budgeting and just, you know, obviously the, the action choreography and whatnot was kind of time-consuming, but I think they were going for um, an emotional weight. It, there's a lot of emotional weight between all the fights. Like, nothing about Obi-Wan and Darth Vader on the first Death Star fighting is impressive, technically. But especially with the knowledge of the prequels, there's a lot of emotional tension there. And that's what's more interesting than whatever they're fighting in. All right. Yeah, I can definitely see that one. And, and I also think that perhaps the two different styles show a reflection of the changing times within Star Wars. At the time of the original trilogy, the age of the Jedi has been gone for almost two decades. Um, nobody is trained to fight like that anymore they're all the jedi are dead basically uh, it's basically just darth vader and a few other uh holdouts and so you know they're not no luke isn't going to be trained in any way to to be acrobatic and fluid like that anyway whereas back in the prequels that's you know at the height of the jedi order and where all that training and classical training and whatnot would have been more uh prominent well that's true and i mean even looking back at the original trilogy Apart from when uh, Obi-Wan has the little uh, training droid thing shooting at Luke, you really don't see him get any kind of formal lightsaber training. I mean, even when he's training with Yoda, it's all using the Force and reaching out through that. You don't actually see him do any lightsaber training. Right, which you could presumably only assume that he maybe gets some hints uh, from maybe some Jedi lore or whatever that he picks up on in between episode five and six, and that's how he learns how to fight. Uh, he, he presumably does it uh, essentially self-trained. Right. Yeah, very much so, well, actually. the other thing, though, is that, you know, they 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 tell you, I mean, they blatantly show you uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's Force Ghost in Empire Strikes Back. What's to say that Obi-Wan's Force Ghost can't come to him and provide more instruction between the movies? That oh, is true. yeah, that is absolutely. True. That's a that's a great point. Hey, look at that uh, non-sequitur. <laughs> right. Going back to the episode, Ahsoka Tano, <laughs> kicking ass. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, see, and Rosario Dawson, I just got to say, she did a uh, phenomenal, phenomenal job as her. 
Yeah, I felt Not... she did a very good job. Uh, you know, stru- face wise, she she matches up with Ahsoka very well. Uh, her body movements were really fluid, uh, so I think she did a good job. When, and she, I will say that there was some apprehension that it didn't sound like Ashley Eccleston, but Rosario Dawson is a great actress, and so I, I very quickly uh, ignored that. But it would have been nice to have you know hear that familiar tone. Well, see, and, and Rosario's right around the same age that Ahsoka would be at this point in the timeline, too. So, I mean, she's she's kind of fitting that as well, I, I, which I thought was another nice touch. Yes. Yep. So, we see uh, we see Atoka, uh, Ahsoka, Ahsoka, Jesus. Ahsoka. Uh, <laughs> Ahsoka Sano. You know, Ahsoka. Yes. Ahsoka's more, uh, does she have some ganja with her, too? <laughs> she's feeling Well, close. I mean, she's on kind of a... I mean, the planet is awfully smoky. Anyway, <laughs> it's just all soak out in the woods, <laughs> right? Um, that's that's how she's able to move so fluidly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we see Ahsoka trying to get into this fortress. Uh, you know, the this ex imperial officer is uh, apparently in charge of this town and uh, threatens to you know, kill civilians and whatnot. And uh, this is where we, you know, many people might not know it, but this is where the other aliens reference that Keenan was talking about so long ago comes into play. Uh, Keenan, you want to, you want to take that one? Yes. Yeah, so the, uh, the town is, you know, being lorded over by this magistrate as she's referred to, who's ex imperial in some sort. And she seems to have, Perhaps an ex-imperial sharpshooter or a stormtrooper, or maybe just a mercenary that's wearing kind of stormtroopery armor. But he is played by none other than Michael Bean, who we would know, of course, from Aliens. Uh, and, you know, general kind of like 80s, early 90s sort of action uh, icon. So it was there. we had a very direct Aliens reference there with an actual actor from the series. And I, I really liked what they did with his character in this one. Especially the uh, the final uh, you know standoff between him and Mando, I thought was very well done. But I'm, yes. I'm jumping ahead there a bit. <laughs> I think you're all right. We don't have to cover every minute of every episode, so you know we we'll we see right. We see yeah. Mando. You know, we see Mando arrive on the planet. Uh, he goes to the town, meets with the magistrate, and once again the same theme of "You scratch my back" comes up. And the magistrate wants to hire him to kill the Jedi uh, who is laying siege to her town and offers him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, I don't know if we're going to just call this a, a very convenient plot device or what, <laughs> but it's a spear made of pure Beskar, which if you yeah. don't know much about Beskar, it is both blaster proof uh, to an extent and also is lightsaber proof resistant to a certain extent, presumably. I mean, I would imagine that if you held a lightsaber up against it for an extended period of time, it would eventually go through. Well, you, you do kind of see that when, uh, again, jumping ahead here, when you see uh, you know some lightsabers clashing with the, the Beskar, you do see it heat up quite a bit. <laughs> yes. Yep. So Mando uh, accepts the job offer to go kill the Jedi. I think uh, I think all of us will agree it's kind of a hidden hidden thing that he doesn't necessarily agree to to go through with the job but he agrees to uh, you know find the jedi which, which right. is another kind of kind of interesting point on the uh, the evolution of his character throughout this like season 1 he was very much this is the way and that's that's all there is to it season 2 you're you slowly start seeing him kind of especially after meeting Bo-Katan you see him kind of start going into more of a gray area 
It's like before it was, you know, if you take a job, you do the job. That's that's it. That's honor. And now it's, well, he's taking a job because it's pointing him in the direction of where he needs to be. He's not necessarily going to do that job, but he took the job. So you're kind right. of seeing that, that well, evolution it, of his character. And he never necessarily says that he's going to, I don't think he gives any direct uh, acknowledgement or confirmation that he is going to go kill the Jedi. I think he just kind of is like, all right, well, tell me where she's at. So I think he, he almost like could loophole out of it, but it does seem, yeah, a little veering from his very strict kind of adherence before. Oh, yeah. Yep. So Mando goes off uh, into the forest and tries to find our uh, our hashish-smoking Jedi. Um, <laughs> probably easy to find her if you just follow the cloud or the smell. Um, but goes off into the forest and does run into Ahsoka. And we do see a kind of a short battle between the two, um, where they, you know, they exchange a couple of blows. Nothing lethal, nothing that's damaging to anybody. Uh, but then Mando eventually is, you know, able to kind of get a word in and say, "Hey, I'm I'm not trying to kill you. I've got a I, I've got a green goblin that I need you to look at." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a little more eloquent than that, but I mean, yeah, that yeah, pretty much uh, sums it up. Yeah, you don't want to feed him after midnight or get him wet, though. <laughs> Right. So uh, this is also a pretty pivotal point in the series in that Ahsoka, as the really only other Jedi or Force user that we've run into in the series at this point, is able to commune with the child through, uh, you know, Force powers, through telepathy. And this is also where we learn the name of the child. Yes, we do. Which uh, you may have noticed, Tim referenced a few times earlier in this podcast. Uh, so the name of that child is Grogu. Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Grogu. Yes, <clears throat> Grogu. So we learn the name of, Gro- of the child, Grogu, and apparently it's it also becomes a bit of a running gag that when you say his name, he makes a weird noise and looks at you. So he does a little chirp, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, does a little chirp. To me, it always sounded like uh, some the noise that the monkeys make in uh, the Jumanji movie with Robin Williams. <laughs> oh, dude. So th- that's always what it just reminded me of every time he makes that noise. Um, so yeah, we learn the name of the child, which is Grogu. Uh, and then we start um, seeing yet another exchange uh, of things. You know, Mando tries to to push the, not really push the child, but tries to get Ahsoka to take the child, but she refuses, uh, points him in another direction, and basically asks for his help, you know, you know, friend, you you scratch my back, I scratch yours type thing. They lay siege to the town, and uh, what ultimately culminates in more Ahsoka badassery uh, by by, uh, taking out some hunter-killer droids, um, yes, which is great. Great KOTOR reference there again. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. The HK series droids, yep. Yep, yep. Takes out these hunter-killer droids and then goes and fights the Magistrate, who is using the Beskar stick. Uh, and then we also see, as Tim mentioned earlier, the fight between uh, Michael Bean's character and Mando's character, which really winds up being more of a... Uh, a an old west style standoff you know the gunslingers you know in the standing in the middle of the town as uh, you know as tumbleweeds go by and waiting for the clock to strike noon 
Now, like I will uh, yes. say, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of of like old style, uh, like Clint Eastwood westerns and whatnot. But this scene was just so well done. Well, and I think what makes it interesting is it's very juxtapositioned with each other because you have Ahsoka and uh, this magistrate having a very like almost uh, Akira Kurosawa kind of uh, like Japanese uh, fight going on, while at the same time, Mando and uh, Michael Bean's character have this uh, old Western standoff. And I think that those two styles are both hugely influential to Star Wars as a whole oh, yeah. originally for George Lucas. And, it, you know, it's interesting to see them being very directly contrasted at the same time. Oh, yeah, very right. much so. And I think even the directors, you know, John Favreau and um, uh, Dave Filoni and the other directors that are in the series have even said that they, you know, they directly draw and want to keep that same aesthetic. So they draw, uh, you know, from those old Sergio Leone films, the the old westerns, and then the Akira Kurosawa films. For the and they're kind of blending these two together because again, those were the inspirations uh, behind a lot of the stuff that went on in the uh, in George Lucas's original trilogy. Oh yeah, very 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 influential. Yep. Um, so go ahead. Oh. I- I was going to actually bring up another interesting thing that we sort of glanced over, but I think is big news. Not only did we learn earlier with Ahsoka communicating with Grogu that his name is Grogu, but we also get uh, actual some backstory on him a little bit. We learn that he was a youngling at the Jedi Temple and survived Order 66 because someone, don't know who, was able to sneak him out, and he's been essentially on his own and hiding ever since because presumably whoever whisked him out either eventually was killed or for some reason had to leave him. My money's on Mace Windu. Just because I want to see so Sam great. Jackson come back. <laughs> he, he wants to come back, man, so just oh, yeah. do it. I know, yeah, like, uh, uh, Sam, you know, hashtags, uh, hashtag Sam Jackson season three. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I've heard people say everything from, you know, you know, Obi-Wan uh, took him since he was one of the first Jedi on site to be there to, you know, Anakin spared him for some reason. I mean, like, it, pretty much, you throw a name of any Star Wars character in a hat, draw it out, and somebody has said, oh, this person saved them. Bib Fortuna saved the child! Uh, oh, gosh. Um, it, it would be, I, I kind of hope, actually, uh, if it's not Mace Windu, I kind of hope it's just an original character who actually ultimately doesn't really matter. They just, they perished or whatever. Because I do think it would get a little too fan servicey if you bring you know too many different characters in but well, well, uh, mace wind mace windu is like the one fan service character that i'm like yeah it's fan service but man is it awesome the, the one other character that i could see them doing is um and i cannot remember the name of the character from uh the the newest star wars game which i can't even remember the name of that star- right oh cal kestis cal kestis yeah and 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 sare i've heard some people be like maybe it was sare who did it? Oh, yeah, but no, but she wasn't on yeah. planet. I think she was away from Coruscant, so I don't think she could have done yeah, it. Yeah, but... she she was elsewhere during Order sixty. Uh, she was was she on Kashyyyk or no no no? She she was elsewhere. I know that. Right. Well, but, why don't they? Yeah, Cal Kestis it... would be interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, considering he well, uh, yeah, that wouldn't work either because because he's off planet too. Yeah. He's like on a on a Venator class, I think. At yeah. some point. Yeah, it's true, because he ends up escaping through a uh, an escape pod, so it couldn't be him either. That'd be neat if they somehow worked that in, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be. It could even be Kanan Jarrus from the Rebel series. Uh, oh, that's true. Uh, oh, Ezra, yeah. Ezra, Ezra's teacher, because he was a youngling during, and I believe he was at the temple 
during Order 66, his master sacrificed, I believe it was a girl, herself, uh, in order for him to be able to escape. Yeah, um, that is very true. There's a lot of possibilities. Hell, who knows? Maybe they're going to, you know, maybe they're going to pull like a, uh, uh, whatever, and, and it's going to be Shakti again, because she apparently, <laughs> yeah. she appears, she is the undying She dies and doesn't yeah. die, yeah, all the say, time. And- and uh, going off the the, the Kanan series, uh, Kanan theory, like it, it can't be him or his master. Uh, I actually just recently picked up the uh, the hard hardback of uh, the Kanan Jarrus comic miniseries that actually explains. Ah, okay. uh, if you guys get a chance to to go through it, definitely give it a read. It's actually really good. It gives you a lot more of his backstory, uh, starting from when he was a youngling, you know, at the temple, up to you know becoming a. Uh, uh, having a master, being an apprentice, and actually going through Order 66 and what he did to survive on his own. It's actually a really good read. But yeah, th- that would have been interesting if, if that piece of, you know, that little piece of lore didn't exist. Having it tie into more... Uh, they keep seeming to want to tie into Rebels, which I am not opposed to. But... Uh, right. Sam Jackson. Let's just... It's Sam Jackson. Yeah. I yeah, do we'll also just... <laughs> quickly want to bring up, too, that the Grogu, the, re- the revelation of his backstory, to me, was good because it was a uh i'm gonna call it a dig at the sequel trilogy and more specifically the last jedi as a whole (laughs) because it's the point that i want to make is that they very much say ahsoka very much says that he's had training so we've seen grogu you know lift a, a woolly mammoth creature or whatever and do all these amazing things with the force and yes he gets tuckered out and passes out after it but he still seems quite strong oh yeah and uh you could have gone way of Ray and have it be that he just, for whatever reason, doesn't require any training to do any of these powerful things. But alas, Dave Filoni and John Favreau have respect for the uh, the lore and whatnot established in Star Wars, and we're like, nope, he's not just naturally gifted. He's had training, which I, I think was a, a nice little thing to do. Yes, yep. you know, I, I think it, it's ridiculous how superhero. Heroey Jedi powers got into the sequel trilogy, and and apparently you don't need any training, right? Um, yeah. Well, training doesn't matter because like Kylo Ren's presumably been training for years and gets just destroyed by Rey every time. <laughs> Very true. Maybe we just count, chalk that up to ego. You know, he thinks he's he's such a badass, so he lets himself get you know be. You know, he's defeated by his own ego, basically, or self sabotages. Right. You know, self sabotaging, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, circling back to the the episode, uh, the Jedi. You know, we uh, we end the episode where we end the fight with uh, between Ahsoka and the the magistrate by Ahsoka defeating her. Uh, doesn't kill her though, yeah. And asks her a very important question that mm-hmm. fans of Star Wars, uh, I'm sure, probably exploded about and were really geeked about geeked oh, yeah. out about. And that question was simply. Where is Thrawn? Oh man, Dude, when when that that thing came, I geeked out so so much when she uttered that one little sentence. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, uh, it's. I mean, he was technically reintroduced in Rebels, and that was great. But the fact that it was uttered by a live action Ahsoka Tano, yeah. therefore, heavily implies that we're going to get a live action Thrawn. Who I've seen some people fan cast at, uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch, which would be interesting. I I have seen that as well. I mean, he's he's got the look. He's got the cheekbones. <laughs> yes, he does. Cheekbones. Yeah, for I mean days. that would be 
That would be, I mean, well, look at all, I mean, all of the range of characters that Benedict Cumberbatch has played. Doctor Strange uh, plays Khan. And Dormammu. Khan. Yeah, and Dormammu uh, plays Khan in uh, the Star Trek movie, the new Star Trek movie. Yep. Um, you know, I'm noticing a space theme. Sherlock Holmes. Uh, you know, a, a multitude of of characters here. So, yeah. you know, there there's certainly precedence that he could do it, and I think he has such a wide range. And there's also been you know fan castings of him as Spike Spiegel in a, a live action Ooh. Cowboy Bebop movie. Um, and I, I've seen some of the the re- artist renditions of it, and it's actually actually pretty good. I I would I would not be opposed to this. Uh, I just don't know that he is uh, spry enough to be a a, a convincing Spike. Um, anyway, yeah. So, yes, uh, we we get the utterance of Thrawn. And if uh, you guys saw the Disney Investors Day uh, announcements, Ahsoka is getting a series or I'm not sure if it's a limited series or a a movie, but it it looks to be a series, a live action series. So that is probably where we're going to see a dovetail off with Ahsoka and uh, probably the the larger appearance of Thrawn. And I kind of have a theory about you know, all of uh, Disney's Investors Day stuff, and I, I talked about this with, with Keenan before, um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, the, the general theory is that we have all of these different pieces going on. We've got Rangers of the New Republic, we've got Ahsoka, we've got Mando, uh, if, you know, I think there's some other series. I, I feel like these are maybe going to culminate into the last in the last season of Mandalorian, uh, with like a, almost an Avengers style team up where we see, you know, these people from these different series wind up, you know, doing like some group adventure because that can be pretty cool. Team ups. Oh yeah. And I, and I theorized with, uh, with Ian, when we were talking about this, that uh, it could be similar to the uh, uh, Netflix Marvel shows, uh, Jessica Jones and Daredevil and things like that, where it eventually culminated in the Defenders, which was essentially a Marvel uh, Avengers team up kind of thing. But I think that that final story might be essentially building up to a live action but TV based adaptation of the Thrawn trilogy. Ooh, that could be really interesting to see. Yeah, I think that would be uh, that would be a good culmination. I mean, the the big question though since we're obviously going to be getting Thrawn in some capacity, are we getting Ezra back? You know, I think think that would, I would think in her show that, that we're going to get a live action Ezra or at least some kind of answer to it and possibly a live action Sabine Wren as well. I'd be okay with both those. I mean, because at at the ending of rebels, I mean, that's, that was the last we saw of Ahsoka was her and Sabine went off to go find Ezra. Now, I mean, it was, uh, Ian, I think you and I actually talked about this that, uh, Dave Filoni said that, you know, that last scene in Rebels, you know, where you see Sabine and Ahsoka getting ready, it's not really clear. And and he even said that they they kept it purposely vague as to where in the timeline that particular scene uh, actually takes place. So, I mean, that may be, you know, before we see her in Mando, or she might not have met back up with Sabine, and we're seeing what happened before she met back up with Sabine. I mean, he, he kept it, they kept it vague on purpose, and I'm just wondering how much that's going to kind of factor into this. Is she currently, like, teamed up with Sabine, but they're separate and already looking for him? Or is this the beginning of her journey looking for him before she meets back up with Sabine? Who knows? Who knows? Yep. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, all interesting theories, all stuff that I fully believe that Dave Filoni, uh, being the architect of basically this new series-verse, of Star Wars uh, is going to to probably give us all the answers that we're looking for. See, and I'm, I'm just um, going to go just ahead and say it's going to take a while. 
I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. They they just need to put Dave Filoni in charge of Star Wars. I, I, I'm i just going to say it. I mean, I, yeah, I think I'm if fine with uh, John Favreau in, is, is a big role in that, too. Because yeah, I would true. say his experience with, you know, the, uh, the multi-layered universe of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is very applicable oh, yeah. to this. He, he, he obviously has a love for it, too. And he's just a very good filmmaker. Dave very Filoni is so. also a good filmmaker, but he is more out of his depth or inexperienced with live action so i think the two of them complement each other quite well that, that that is true so let's put both of them in charge of star wars yep i think that would be a good good thing to do so um with that i think that about wraps up the jedi uh we see um mando and grogu uh <laughs> leaving ahsoka huh. uh as they fly off on the uh in the razor crest uh, which takes us to the next episode, Chapter 14, The Tragedy. Uh, so uh. so if if episodes one through four were kind of building up and, you know, laying out the groundwork for the for this season, um, episodes five through eight are basically Star Wars fanboy fan service wet dreams. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chapter 14 or sees Mando. uh you know, taking the uh, taking the child to uh, an ancient ancient location, an a- an ancient Jedi location on the planet Tython, which I believe, and I think I've stated this before, Tython, I believe, was the name of the planet that you start off out start out on in uh, the um, MMO game, uh, The Old Republic. If you play as a Jedi or a, a you know. A, plays a jedi character i believe I the planet believe, is Python. i believe so or at least i, know I you, believe that you is visit correct Python, but yeah i think that's where you start so i mean there's a nice nod back to again yeah. more old star wars lore kind of bringing some of that back into into canon so we see mando show up there with uh the grogu uh they take him to this hilltop where he uh, basically sits on a concrete ball and communes <laughs> with the galaxy which they uh, described in the earlier episode, I guess, as a Jedi seeing stone, yeah. part of an ancient Jedi temple, and he's using it to commune with the Force and essentially project his presence to other Jedi that could detect it. Now, I, I will say, kind of, kind of backtracking a little bit for people that haven't really watched it yet. Uh, at, at the end of the last episode, Ahsoka is like, you know, look, I, I can't train him, but you can find somebody that can, and she says, you know, he has the, the child has a lot of fear in him. Which kind of really takes her back because she's seen her, you know, her former master Anakin go through that. But th- that's why it's just Mando and Grogu without a Jedi in tow. Yes. Yep. Yep. So as Grogu is communing on this stone, we see uh, probably <laughs> one of this season's biggest nerd dums. Not that we haven't had enough of those already. Oh yeah. A very familiar ship flies yep. into view. And lands next to the Razor Crest. Oh yeah! And we see uh, a familiar fig cloaked figure walk out of this ship, uh, and uh, Mando goes to parlay with said figure, uh, who winds up being none other than the intergalactic badass from Camino, Boba Fett. Oh yeah! <laughs> and his In all... and of course the ship being the Slave One, the yeah. iconic uh, ship. With the fantastic, I love every sound design choice about the Slave One. The sound of the engines, the sound of its blasters, uh, the seismic charge, everything about it is fantastic. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. 
Yep. And so we see we see Boba showing up and Mando's there to, you know, kind of, hey, don't touch my kid, that kind of stuff. And Boba's basically <laughs> like, no, 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 dude, we're, we're good with the kid. I want my armor back. I'm just here for my pants. Pretty much. So, you know, there's a bit of an exchange there. And then we actually get another character return. Yep. Who could that be, Johnny? Survey says. Fennec San. So, uh, we remember seeing last time we saw Fennec, uh, she was shot through the gut. <laughs> yes, she Left was. for dead on Tatooine with a mysterious pair of boots walking up to her. Hmm. Hmm. Foreshadowing? Yes, with the classic little spur jingle. You're right. Correct. So what we find out is that uh, Fennec was picked up by Boba Fett, and uh, I wouldn't really say healed, more like uh, he gave her a robotic stomach to keep her from dying. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, she's got, she's got Robo six-pack abs now. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, Fennec and Boba are there, and as they are parlaying, uh, out... Uh, of the sky comes some uh, stormtrooper dropships uh, because what we didn't get to in a previous episode was that uh, the Mando ship has a tracer that has been placed on it. Uh, that was yeah, placed, placed on, by... on when they were in Navarro, when they yep. were with uh, sieging the base. Yep. Uh, it was placed by one of uh, Grief Karga's uh repairman who actually winds up being an imperial spy as far as we know grief cargo doesn't know about this we yep. can at least continue believing that that character is awesome <laughs> so we see these dropships come out of the air and they they look very reminiscent of first order dropships that we saw throughout the the sequel trilogy so foreshadowing much maybe yeah mm -hmm. So uh, we see these uh, we see these dropships come down, and you know stormtroopers start disembarking, and uh, you know Boba and Mando's exchange hasn't been finished. So you know they have to defend themselves against these platoons of stormtroopers. So that's what they do, and they do uh, it very yeah. well. <laughs> yes, yeah. we see, you know we see Fennec back in action as uh, you know an intergalactic sniper picking off stormtroopers left and right. And then we see a side of Boba Fett that we didn't expect to see. Him actually uh, being we a all badass of legend? See, but we just haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Boba's got a couple of... There's a couple of parts of Boba. The first part is his hand-to-hand -hand combat skills using a gaffy stick. Yeah. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, folks, go watch the episode. because. Yes. He gets brutal with these stormtroopers. I mean, we <laughs> see armor savage. shattered. Yeah, I mean, we see him shatter stormtrooper armor. <laughs> yeah. We see him stab people with the pointy end of the gaffer stick. Like, it's, it's brutal. And, you know, a little bit of a tidbit for you guys. Um, Tamora Morrison, the actor who plays Boba Fett and Jango Fett, is uh, of Maori descent, in uh, which are the native uh, people of New Zealand. Um, on set, uh, Tamura Morrison apparently did a haka, which is the uh, the fire or the breath uh, fire breath dance. It's a traditional Maori dance, and um, you know that kind of inspired Dave Filoni, John Favreau, Robert Rodriguez, who Robert Rodriguez directed the, this episode. I can see it. <laughs> uh, uh, inspired them a little bit, and Tamura Morrison himself actually asked for a custom made gaffy stick, 
which resembles more of a traditional Maori club. And so he uses that in his choreography with the, the fights. So that's why we see Boba Fett really kind of going whole ham with that, with that gaffy stick is because it was custom made for this role. And it was again, just an amazing scene. <laughs> yes. So, you know, we see the stormtroopers, we see the battle, uh, Boba takes out several of them and then sees uh, the razor crest with the door open. So, I mean, what do you, what would you guys do if you were Boba in this situation? I'd go get my Well, pants. he's there to get his armor, so, you know, if it's available to him, why not? Right, so as Boba disappears, you know, Mando and Fennec are still continuing the fight. They wind up getting uh, surrounded, you know, kind of one of those desperate back-to-back type things. Uh, and then out of nowhere, we see bombs drop from the sky. <laughs> what could this mean, folks? Our boy's back. Yes. And then we see... JD's back. Then we see the moment that everybody who saw Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi has been waiting for the badass return of Boba Fett. We actually get to see him be the badass that all the stories talk about. Right. We see him fighting. We see him using his armor to its fullest capabilities. I mean, grapple hook, flamethrower. He's got a goddamn missile in his knee. I was going to say, don't forget the missile knee. <laughs> yeah. He's got, like, extra blasters uh, in his wrist. Uh, he, he uses a pistol, which you've always seen his holster, but you've never actually seen him use it. He's always using his uh, blaster rifle. Um, so you see that, uh, his sharpshooting skills as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Boba goes just berserker on these stormtroopers, and they eventually start running away, um, you know, issuing a tactical retreat, so to speak. <laughs> Run away! Run away! And as they are flying away, we see Boba initiate his holy hand grenade. <laughs> which was is, so good. <laughs> which is the missile that is on his backpack. Uh, so we see that finally come into play as well. So not only do we see Boba Fett come back, we see him come back as a badass in multiple ways. Oh, yeah. Not only in hand-to-hand combat, but also with the aid of his armor and fully back as the kick-ass bounty hunter that he always should have been. Oh, yeah. And we also see him get to use all of the tools and tricks of his trade that we know of anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, you know, Boba, he didn't pull out all his, I mean, he probably used a lot of his toys because he's missed them, but you know, he didn't pull out everything he's got. Yep. <clears throat> so, uh, as the fighting is going on, we see, uh, Gideon show up and yeah. as the, uh, you know, as the stormtroopers are, are, f- are fleeing and Boba destroys their ship, uh, a laser blast comes out of nowhere and kills one of the main characters of the series absolutely disintegrates it yes disintegrates (laughs) it and what i'm talking about is the razor crest oh yeah it's it's it gone it's gone and all the fanboys who bought expensive like scale model die cast things (laughs) of the razor crest were like god damn it (laughs) yep so there it is folks i mean the razor crest is no more there there's no there's no coming back from that she's dead jim it's like there's not even enough for salvage at that point no it is a smoking crater having taken a full blast from an imperial light cruiser uh it's it's gone 
And well, say here, we, here we say goodbye, Razorcrest. We our time was too short. Oh yeah. And you went through hell. I mean, I think that was the most beat up character in this show. <laughs> I mean, he, it he, is just harsh though, because it just recently got all spick and span to only get disintegrated. <laughs> and now he he does recover, you know, a couple things from the wreckage though. He gets the uh, the the best car spear, which kind of is a testament to how durable that stuff is. And he gets the, the yes. shiny little, well, for lack of a better description, gear shifter knob that uh, Grogu always liked playing with. Yeah, yep. it's very touching, which is extra touching because uh, after, you know, picking up this ball, you know, this happens after uh, poor Grogu goes through some bad experiences himself yeah. as Gideon has some extra toys that he sends out after the stormtroopers are taken care which of. Which was another thing to geek out over. Right. Yes, we don't another actually... Legends thing brought back. Yes. Right. We don't actually, we're not actually given confirmation of what they are, but we see these black, fully black droids exiting the light cruiser, flying down, grabbing Grogu, and then flying away. So they're, they're robotic. Uh, they're droids. They're all in black. They look like stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. Gee, I wonder what they could be. Yeah. Like, like when I saw those things first coming down, I'm like, man. Those things look a lot like the, uh, you know, the Dark Troopers and the Death Troopers. And I kept watching them going, huh, they really look a lot like them. Huh. Yep. And then, of course, you know, so, late, later. <laughs> yeah, they never actually confirm uh, what they are in that, uh, in the episode. But uh, anyway, uh, so, yeah, Gideon manages to get a hold of Grogu and flies off. Uh, which leaves poor Mando. Uh you know, shipless, uh, childless, uh, with only the, quite literally, the weapons on his back. Yeah. Um, He's in a bad place. Enters into a bit of an alliance with Boba Fett and Fennec, who, who Boba says, you know, I will, uh, we will not, we will not rest until the child is back at your side. So Because he had, he was, he's an honorable man, you can tell, because he... A, made an agreement with Mando that if you give me your armor, I will help ensure that the child is safe. But then they got interrupted by all the stormtroopers and everything else, and he says to to Mando, well, I do have my armor, but I haven't completed my end of that deal, so I will help you retrieve this child. Which really speaks a lot to the character of Boba Fett, you know? Yeah, I mean, yes. he may be a ruthless fighter, and he's a bounty, he's an infamous bounty hunter, but he's he's got his own code. Oh yeah, which and, 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 he, and speaking of code, the, uh, the that scene there where you know Boba pulls up on his armor, effectively like an ownership form. That that's actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's actually been translated, and it, it you know it references you know the the Fett family, uh, it references you know his father, and as as well as a few other things from uh, expanded universe lore. That now that we've seen it on screen that that's canon now i mean and, yes and, and yeah they, like they... his original legends thing was uh Django was raised by a guy named jaster boreal who was yep. a, a major leader in the mandos and that name somebody translated the the mandalorian letters and that name is mentioned so yep. yeah uh all legends thing can be assumed in some way shape or form to be true now in that aspect oh yeah well and they've done a really good job on that and ian and i know you and i have talked about this before that you know, when, when Disney took over Star Wars, they're like, all right, all this expanded universe stuff, all this stuff is no longer canon. It's going to be considered what we call legends now, uh, where, I mean, those things are still out there, but they don't exist. But they've pick and show, they've kind of been picking and choosing from that, okay, what do fans like? What's cohesive? What will work with what we've done? 
and they find a good way to work it in. You know, like we had talked about Thrawn earlier. Thrawn was something that was originally Legends. They brought him back in and did a really good job of that. Um, you know, Boba Fett's heritage, you know, as well as his father's heritage, they've, you know, kind of touched on that. They brought that back in. And they've so far done a pretty good job of reincorporating things from Legends that people really latched onto and liked. Well, even the stuff they did, they didn't reincorporate well, such as Palpatine being a clone. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they still brought that out of Legends. That was a, a huge part of the Legends, uh, Legends or, canon. Or, or Kylo Ren essentially being uh, Jason and yeah, uh, yep. Darth Cadius, so. Yep. Right. So, I mean, they've done some not-so-well things. <laughs> but yeah, I would I mean... say that the, the, the shows thus far, the, the Filoni-verse, is doing a good job of incorporating relatively Relatively obscure things like crate dragon pearls to important things like Thrawn. <laughs> the Filoni verse. That's what we're gonna. That's that's what it's called now. Yep. <laughs> so uh, at the end of the episode, uh, you know, we see Mando basically leaving with Boba and uh, Fennec to try to get back the child. So uh, the next episode that we have is Chapter Fifteen, The Believer. Now, uh, in the prior episode, wasn't it at the very ending where we see Grogu in uh, effectively? captured inside the ship is that is that scene in that one or the yes that is at the yes. end okay. i believe uh he's uh tossed it around stormtroopers like uh like a baby playing with toys it, it was a pretty good scene but it brought up uh, like at the end of it you see and you see him what looks to be force choking one of the uh the stormtroopers yes which what are your guys is he force choking it or is he doing and i know it's it's Another one of those, well, gray area things is you see Luke do a very similar thing to a Gamorrean guard in uh, Return of the Jedi. Right. But, you know, Lucas is like, oh, no, no, that, that wasn't a force choke. Well, I'm sorry, but if, if I'm grabbing my throat and gasping for air, I'm pretty sure I'm choking. And I think <laughs> I think he should have owned it because clearly Luke at the beginning of uh, of the Return of the Jedi you're supposed to think he could turn to the dark side. He's wearing all black all yep. of a sudden. He uses a force choke, very Darth Vader-y. Yep. I mean, eventually we realize he's, you know, always been on the light, but there was that that risk. And I, so, and I mean, we've seen Grogu force choke Cara Dune yeah. toward the end of season one. We did, yep. So I think he was probably force choking. I think he was tapping into his dark side powers, which I think also is a good way to connect to the previous episode with the Jedi where Ahsoka says, you know, I sense much fear in him. You know, he's got all this power, but uh, I'm afraid that he won't be able to control it. And I think that's showing him tapping into some of those dark side powers and why he really does need some guidance or lest he be a very dangerous. Well, I mean, dark side, light side, it's. Sunny side. Me, yeah, to me, dark side, <laughs> light side, it, it's kind of a it really. It, you know, these different powers are kind of a gray area, right? You know, they, it's what you do with them that really makes you evil. Now, again, there's there's some powers that are blatantly bad, like Force Lightning. I think they say that comes from Malice. Or, yeah, I was going to say, you know, I can't think of a, a friendly way to electrocute somebody. <laughs> right. Well, if you right. think about it, most powers that are Jedi-associated are things that you could use offensively, but aren't inherently that way like there's you can use them in a way that doesn't cause any harm whereas force lightning and force choking there's literally no way to use that in a way that isn't harmful right like well maybe inherently... if david carradine had uh, used force <laughs> choke, he would have 
<laughs> wouldn't have had that big of a problem. As, anyway. as soon as you said that, Keenan, it got quiet. And I'm like, all right, who's going to say it first? Who's going to make some kind of choking comment? <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, it. But again, to me, it's I mean, because then you get you get into the expanded universe stuff, you know, the gray Jedi and all that, all that other mm. crap. But I mean, it's really a quite. I mean, Grogu again is untrained, so he's just using the abilities that he that he is basically making up out of his mind. I mean, he has some training, but he has he doesn't have a lot. Yeah. So you know, we don't know what the extent of his training is. Apparently, it seems to be kind of minimal, really. You know, mostly just like how to tap into the Force, how to meditate. How to, you know, steal cookies from little kids. That kind of stuff. <laughs> that was such a great scene. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, th- I think there's some, there's some gray area there. And I like to believe there's some yeah. gray area because of, you know, some of the stuff that, that Luke Skywalker did in Richard and the Jedi. And even in, uh, you know, the, God forbid, uh, the, the sequel trilogy kind of stuff, right. you know, some of his, some of the things that he did there. But, um, he, you know, he's uh, Grogu's do it using the survival tools essentially that he has at his disposal at this point. Yeah, I, I'm not saying yeah. that he was, uh, you know, turning to the dark side. I just think that uh, he was tapping into the feelings, the fear and hatred and whatnot that leads to the dark side. I don't think if using the power, unlike what Yoda says, I don't think using the dark side will instantaneously make you become a dark sider right um, i i think you you just want to not tap into it as much as humanly possible at least you you know fall under its sway very right. true and, very true and, and baby yoda or grogu was you know we're seeing that potentiality so it, i think it just gives the audience more reason to be like man mando needs to save him quick before he he goes any further down that pathway yeah very true yep so, you know, jumping back to the next episode, The Believer, uh, we see Mando and Boba show up to uh, Navaria or whatever it is, um, and uh, hooks back up with Grief Karga and Cara Dune. Uh, uh, basically, Mando's, he's calling an audible here and calling in all the favors that he can Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, to find Gideon. And so uh, they bring back a character that you know, I didn't really expect them to bring back from, uh, yeah. from season one. Um, they, uh, they conscript Kara to, to locate Mayfield, uh, who, if you remember from season one, uh, the, he was, he and his band of merry men were invading the prison station to try to break out, uh, uh, Twilight, I think. Um, and then they were caught. He went and he went to prison. So we see Kara Dune, uh, basically kind of using some underhanded methods using a little bit of her martial pole to uh to uh, get mayfeld out of prison well see and in the end also this episode also gives us confirmation that she did decide to become a marshal then yep yes yep and what's so, the first thing she does abuse her power <laughs> well as you do yeah immediately basically <laughs> as you do so uh yeah we see mando and uh and Kara uh, spring Mayfeld and basically, uh, you know, say, look, here's the thing. He took my kid. I need to know where Gideon is. You can get me access. So then they go to this jungle planet uh, to basically find to an Imperial base that uh, produces or uh, processes. Uh, what is what is the stuff? Uh, highly explosive. Um, uh, Explosium. 
it, it actually it appears in an episode of Rebels or in Clone Wars too. It's called like Rodenium or like Rodendite or something like that. But Rodenite whatever, it's it's, it, it's space uh, uh, um, nitroglycerin basically. I'm still gonna go with explosium. <laughs> we'll go with that. that. We'll <laughs> go with that. So yeah, so Mando and uh, Mayfeld need to infiltrate a, an Imperial base. Uh, so they basically hijack a uh, a cargo uh, a, a cargo transport um, to drive it uh, drive this explosium to this base in order to be able to get a hold of a uh, get a hold of a um, a code stick to be able to to find uh, find Gideon's light cruiser. Now it, it is worth noting that at this point, uh, Mando is actually wearing. Uh... It's not stormtrooper. Uh, it's a tank trooper. Tank armor. trooper, thank you. Tank trooper armor, and th- there is a joke made about. Uh, I guess one helmet's the same as any, huh? Well, it actually leads to a very. I mean, the whole episode is called the Believer, and mm-hmm. you kind of ultimately see that the theme of this episode is having your beliefs challenged. And yeah. Mayfeld kind of eggs on uh, Mando, being like, "Well, what's the rule? Is the rule that you can't take your helmet off, or you can't people see your face? And those are two different things." Yeah. Yep. And 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 Mando has to wear this armor in order to infiltrate, but like he he's obviously breaking the rule unless the rule is not to show your face. Right. Uh, it's it's unclear. And Mayfeld makes all these comments about how uh, everybody has these codes, but when things get rough, people are willing to change it all of a sudden, and that you don't need to necessarily adhere to this dogma. Um, you just got to do what you got to do to survive and and do right as best as you can. And it's definitely some some good foreshadowing for later in the episode as well. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you know, Mayfeld and uh, and Mando steal this transport. They're uh, driving this unstable cargo to the base. Um, they get attacked by essentially natives who I think just don't like the refinery being there. I can't really remember. I mean, they're trying to they, blow up the they, cargo. They refer pirates. them to as pirates, but I do think, yeah, they're just natives of the planet trying to get the, you know, the colonists off of their planet. I can yep. see that. So, you know, a fight fights ensue. It's kind of uh, a la, I don't know, speed or, you know, uh, the matrix, I guess we'll go with the, the, the matrix too. Sorry, where they it do re- the highway. The highway thing where they're fighting on the back. Oh yeah, they're yeah. fighting on the back of the uh, the semis and stuff like that. I can see that. Yeah, there's no bullet time, but it's still you know pretty cool. Yeah, so you know they eventually they prevail against the uh, the the pirates and they make Yarr. it to the base and then they're everybody's everybody's applauding them because they're the only shipment to make it that day. All the other shipments have been blown up. It's also an interesting moment because you actually get a moment where you're cheering for the Empire because they're ultimately saved by some TIE fighters swooping in. Yeah. And so you get this weird turnaround of where, yet again, we're challenging our beliefs. You know, normally we're seeing, you know, X-Wings and stuff. And we're like, oh, sweet, awesome, the Republic or the Rebels or whatever. Now we're cheering because the Empire came in? Yeah. kind of weird about it. Well, I just, like, the the one thing that they kind of, and again, I'm thinking too deep into this. You're telling me that the the Empire doesn't have any way to verify the identity of people that are in their vehicles when they're entering into you know a very important facility. These guys just get out and they're like, "Yeah, they're wearing our armor. They must be us. Cool. Let them let them roam free." Yeah, I mean Mayfield walks in without his helmet on, and yeah. none of them are like, "Hey, I don't remember this dude ever being here." Yeah, I've, I've been I've been on this job for you know five years now, and I've never seen this guy. Is he new? 
Yeah, well, like, when I mean, did he come in? We didn't get a new shipment of people anytime soon. Right? This goes back to the whole thing about, you know, the guardrails. The Empire's cheap. They're not going to waste <laughs> their money on, they're not going to waste their money on, you know, bioscanners and stuff like that. Yeah, especially since this is Imperial Remnants, you know, they're going off of whatever resources they were able to steal away as the New Republic established themselves. They've got Explosium to process. They, they don't have time to check this kind of stuff. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> So, as, uh, as our heroes disembark from their Explosium transport uh, and make their way over to a console, uh, the console is in the basically the equivalent of the officer's lounge, which really just feels like a small cafeteria off the main building. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's the equivalent of a teacher's break room. It's just an, an extra yeah, large right. closet that they found. There's a basically. microwave and a Keurig in there. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, basically. who ate my salad? Was it you again, Sharon? God damn it, I had it labeled. <laughs> That's yes, a Star Wars uh, series I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> Who drank my blue milk? The Imperial Break Room. <laughs> I had a roasted Kowakian leg in there. Somebody <laughs> took it. Who who took my salacious crumb cakes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm you know, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure that's a, I'm sure that's in a cookbook somewhere. I, I need to find that now. Uh, it's gotta be. Uh, yeah, if it's not, if it's not, you heard it here first, folks. I've trademarked it. It's mine. Well, I mean, I've got the Galaxy's Edge cookbook. Uh, it's got a dessert section. I don't think that's in there, but I know how to make a uh, Ronto wrap. Well, there huh. you go. And they're yummy. So, uh, as our heroes approach the officers' lounge, Mayfeld happens to look in and notices that one of the officers in there was his old CO uh, from back when he was enlisted in the Imperial Forces, uh, yep. Imperial Special Forces. So Mayfeld has a kind of an existential crisis. Uh, you know, I can't go in there. What if he recognizes me? We're, we're shot. You got to go in and, and do this. So Mando, unfortunately, has to take the the uh, code stick, go in and and tries to use this machine. But it's extra bad because uh, Mayfeld is like, well, we got to cancel the mission. And Mando's like, no, we can't. He's like, you don't understand. In order to access the terminal, it has to scan your face. Yep. So Mando then has to once again decide, well, am I going to have to take off my helmet in front of all these officers and whatnot that are standing in this room? Well, I mean, to to be fair, by the end of the episode, it doesn't really matter. Uh... (laughs) True. (laughs) True, true. So, you know, our our hero has a real, real dilemma. Does he stick to his code, or does he do what he needs to do in order to save the child? I think you can probably guess what he did, which was he took his helmet off. Yeah, he did. Uh, But then we have that same Imperial officer approach Mando and start trying to to talk to him and, and ask him things and Mando's kind of ignoring him because he doesn't really have any answers. Uh, and as things, as the tension builds, finally Mayfeld steps in and, and says, oh, we're, you know, something like, sorry, uh, we were in a fight. He, he took a, a thermal detonator next to the head. He can't really hear. So I, I help communicate for him. And, and, you know, so that, that kind of exchange happens. So then the officer's like, you know, Hey, let me, let me buy you guys a drink. You, you guys, uh, you know, save the day with the the explodium delivery. <laughs> so, you know, they sit down with this officer, and obviously Mayfeld's sweating. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, an interesting story unfolds. And, and Ken, I think you're closer to the story than I am, but uh, I'll, I'll let uh, you kind of go over it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll kind of ex- uh, do this exchange. It's a very uh, a la Inglorious Bastards in the bar scene. It's a very tense, like two people. Uh, clearly, like having a, a a verbal kind of uh, 
uh, fight with each other before things go crazy. I will also <laughs> note that the officer is played by, uh, we referenced it earlier toward the very beginning of this episode, the officer is played by an actor who appears in the latest uh, Tremors movie, Shrieker <laughs> Island. Wait, there's another uh, one? Yep, there's a oh, brand new God. one that was released on Netflix, and uh, Ian and I watched it, and that actor plays uh like a big game hunter kind of guy and so uh he he appears so tremors does also have a more direct reference into star wars now so so see i, I was but, getting us there eventually yes yeah <laughs> you, you brought it up an, uh, an hour and 40 minutes uh early but, but yes but so in the, in this conversation uh uh the officer is you know cheering on how you know uh how well the empire is doing and how they're going to bring back order and stability to the galaxy and whatnot. But Mayfeld can't help himself. He clearly has some demons he's dealing with. Yeah. And he starts bringing up how the officer uh, served on a planet called Vernon Khan, which um, uh, the, uh, during Operation Cinder, which is a very interesting throwback to Disney canon because Operation Cinder is part of the main storyline to EA's uh, Battlefront 2 game that came out in 2017. In that story mode, you find out that Operation Cinder is a uh, military operation that uh, happens or activates, essentially, if Palpatine were to die. And essentially, it commands all uh, high-ranking Imperial officers to just essentially glass and orbital bombard and destroy various planets that Palpatine deemed to be traitorous uh, in the event should he die. It's kind of like a you know a kamikaze last hurrah like screw you kind of thing, and so they bring that uh, that lore into this, and I guess uh, Mayfeld served on one of the planets that were part of that, and in this operation, not only were civilians killed, but uh, they they fired essentially on Imperial installments as well. So he talks about how you know ten thousand of his fellow stormtroopers were killed, you know, for the glory of the Empire, and how he thinks that you know. Uh, how morally wrong and, and disturbing that is. And eventually, uh, Mayfeld can't control himself anymore uh, hearing this guy, you know, vaunt about how the Empire is so great and how they're going to do even more damage with this explosium that they've picked up. <laughs> and he just uh, kind of whips out his gun and shoots him in the chest. Yeah, it was uh, like, I did not expect that that was going to happen. <laughs> and then... Yeah, it, it's the tension builds and then it's oh, just yeah. like, oh. Well, that happened. Uh... And then all yep. the officers kind of just look at them, and Mayfeld kind of casually is like, "Oh, we got to kill everybody now." So then they all start shooting. <laughs> like, well, we're we're here now. Uh... Yep. So then our intrepid heroes, uh, you know, get their code stick and they make a daring escape off to the uh, roof of the building where they're picked up by uh, Slave One and uh, the rest of their party. Uh, and then as they fly off into the sunset, uh, Mayfeld takes a cycler rifle. Uh, and shoots one of the explodium containers, basically destroying the facility as kind of his, uh, um, you know, conscience clearing, you know, moment. It's part of his healing process to blow the ever-loving piss out of this place. I was going to say it was his giant metaphorical middle finger. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that too. I mean, besides <laughs> shooting the officer in the chest. Well, I mean, you know, that was just the icing on the cake. Yes. So, um, you know, once they've managed to escape the area, they uh, land on the planet. There's a bit of an exchange between Kara and Mando and uh, Mayfeld basically going, yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
I think uh, this prisoner died in this operation. Um, I don't remember, you know, we couldn't recover the body. It's real tragedy. You know, one of those, uh, we're going to turn around and walk away and, uh, you know, you no longer exist as, as who you are. There's another time we kind of see the uh, the uh, rebels do that in this series. Where they just kind of, well, we're just going to look over here now. Right. And it, yeah, it, even Mayfeld was like, so I just... Do I just go or uh uh really? Okay, yeah. I'm I'm going now. I'm, that's okay, right? Um, yes. as a quick aside before we potentially move on from this episode, um, Bill Burr was cast by John Favreau because they had worked together on some other movie or did some other things, and John Favreau cast him because Bill Burr had been pretty famous in his stand-up for making fun of star wars nerds and john favreau just thought it would be funny to cast someone who's known for not liking star wars to be in star wars and he's such a good character yeah and and he comes in and you know and he's pretty good it's also funny because it essentially made that there is a boston accents canon within the star wars galaxy um space boston and I would say that I, I like his character in his first appearance in season one, but it was a little jarring to me to have Bill Burr. He did feel a little bit out of place in the galaxy, right. in this world. But in this episode, I thought his acting was very well done. Oh, yeah, he absolutely. He was almost stealing scenes from basically anybody. He had a lot of dramatic chew going on. And so his character was redeemed. I didn't end up even caring that he has that thick Boston accent. Right. Yep. So what did you guys think? Did you think his character was redeemed in this episode? And did you find Bill Burr a little jarring at first when he first appeared in season one? He, to, to me, in, in season one, he he did seem kind of out of place. But I don't necessarily know if it was... Like, like the accent didn't really bother me at all. I think it was just, just his character kind of felt... I don't even necessarily want to say shoehorned in. He just He just felt like the odd man out in that. And as far as getting redeemed... I wouldn't necessarily, in my opinion, say redeemed is the right word, but I mean, he's he's starting down, well, I mean, kind of like you guys have said, you know, shooting that officer was, was probably very therapeutic for him at the time, but ultimately it's going to boil down to, you know, is, is that going to allow him to get over what he experienced in, in Operation Cinder, or is that just going to, you know, send him down an even darker, you know, path? Yeah, will he forge a new way of life now that he's been afforded this freedom and essentially a a restart since he's now dead right i mean because really i mean in the very little that we know about his character i mean he's pretty much seen war and bounty hunting so i mean his his skill you know i mean he's got a lot of skills but i don't know how many of those will look good on a resume at the office (laughs) yeah at the uh, star wars kinko shop (laughs) space space kinkos yeah he could wind up becoming a spice runner or something but uh i I could see him being a smuggler yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah. I think I don't. I don't know that I would say it's this was about his redemption, but I think it was more about his ability to to heal and start moving moving past the demons. Because obviously, in the first season, we didn't we didn't know anything about yeah. really anything about him, other than he was part of a band of you know a band of smugglers or something like that, and they were trying to get one of their guys back. Right. Um, I mean, like we knew that he had some history with Mando, but not not a whole lot more than that. Right. So, you know, this was, to me, this episode was less his redemption and more just uh, almost kind of being able to restart and, and end his character. I, I don't know that I, if 
if I was John or Filoni, I, I don't know that I would bring him back for for subsequent seasons. I think it's, I think it's a he good ending his, point. Right, he served his purpose. He had a good component to the story, but I I would be afraid that using him anymore would just defeat the the character building that they did do. No, I, I agree on that one. Yeah, his arc is complete. Including yeah. him further would just it would serve no point. It's just bringing back a character just because fans like him. I mean, like, maybe, like, you know, have him be, like, a background character in a scene on some random planet just to, like, to give that nod to the fans of, hey, you know, he's still alive, you know, he's doing something with his life, but not go, hey, guys, look, it's our old friend. Let's go talk to him. You know, just have him walk by and not notice the characters or something. Right. So, as we wrap up uh, The Believer, um, do, do, you know, do, one do, do. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> One of the uh, one of the things at the very end of the episode, uh, if you guys remember, um, Mando now has Gideon's coordinates. Yep, and he sends Gideon a message. Uh, yes, you know, a hollow message. A hollow message, which basically reiterates reiterates uh, Gideon's speech to Mando yeah. uh, at his first appearance in the last season. I believe it's actually verbatim uh, what Gideon. The said only to him. thing he changes is that. Uh, Mando in his speech says that he means more to me than you could ever know, whereas Moff Gideon said it means more to me than you could ever know, showing that obviously Mando has a personal connection to Grogu, whereas Gideon only thinks of it as a tool. Right. Right. Or thinks of Grogu as a tool. So with that, that's the believer. And then we move on to the final episode of the season, chapter 16, The Rescue. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the longest episodes of the season. Um, not the longest, but it's in second place. The longest episode was actually the first episode at 55 minutes. This one clocks in at 47 minutes. Now, this episode is... Amazing. The, it, it, is every, it is what every Star Wars nerd has been asking for for the last 40 years. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, it in itself is worth the price of Disney+. Plus. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, and I have kids, and they watch the crap out of, you know, Disney movies and all the other stuff that's on Disney+, Plus and whatnot, but, you know, I would pay for Disney+, Plus 10 times over to be able to see this series, and especially with all of the stuff that's coming out after the, the announcement of the the Investor's Day stuff. But uh, so the rescue starts off with uh, Slave One actually giving chase to an Imperial shuttle where uh, the good cloning doctor is uh, on the shuttle. And, uh, you know, Slave One uh, hits him with an ion blast, disables the shuttle because they're trying to <clears throat> they're trying to get a hold of this this doctor um, to be able to use him. So Mando and Cara Dune uh, board the ship. Uh, one of the pilots um, basically uh, uh, pokes the bear, uh, for lack of a better term, by by talking about how he was on the first Death Star and witnessed the destruction of Alderaan and, you know, how he would do it again. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are not in the know or maybe, you know, you stuck with us even though you haven't seen Mando. Uh, thank you, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you. Cardoon yeah, is... Cardoon is, uh, she's from Alderaan. That was her home planet. So when Alderaan was destroyed in, uh, her planet was gone. And that was one of the reasons why she joined the Stormtroopers, or I'm sorry, not Stormtroopers, the, uh, the Rebellion <laughs> as a, as a dropper. Um, and if you notice her character, she has, uh, a, 
uh, in, uh, a rebel alliance insignia tattooed under her eye, reminiscent of a teardrop. That is uh, apparently something that uh, survivors of Alderaan or uh, did as uh, you know a you know a tribute to their their fallen planet. Right. It's a remembrance, yeah. Right. It's a it's a remembrance. It's it's an effigy for their fallen planet. Uh, so yeah, he he pokes the bear a little bit. Uh, Kara fires back, you know, saying, uh, you know, you, I was on the Death Star. Oh, really? Which one?" And then he gets kind of pissed. Like, well, <laughs> I that was a good line, people. right? Millions. Oh, which one? That, that scene I enjoy because it also essentially uh, canonizes the hilarious conversation that Randall and Dante have in Clerks, and where they talk <laughs> about the millions of innocent people that would have had to have died on uh, especially the second death star since it was under construction right <laughs> yes it is so, a, anyway, a valid point yep uh so thank you kevin smith and your rant from the 90s uh that was you are now canonized in the star wars universe as well uh so yeah they long story short uh shooty shooty they get the doctor um and uh go and find uh, they then go to find Bo-Katan to try to enlist her to help uh you know board and lay siege to Gideon's light cruiser. Uh the exchange is interesting because uh Mando and Boba together go into this bar where Bo-Katan is and two Mandalorians uh, walk into a bar. <laughs> nothing good happens. Right. So they confront or not really confront but the, you know Mando starts a conversation with uh, Bo and uh, and Casca, and uh, you know they basically basically like yeah no uh, we're not we're not bound we're not bounty hunters um, and uh, you know Mando fires back basically with well I, I can tell you where Gideon is which piques Bo-Katan's interests very much so um, and there's a bit more of an exchange where then Boba steps in and says something and you see a sense of recognition light up. Bo-Katan's face. Yeah. And she even says it. You're not a Mandalorian. You're a clone. I've heard your voice a thousand times. So, you know, bringing all of this back together and it's it's good actually to see a character that recognizes and remembers, you know, the fact that clones exist right, in this yeah. universe. Cuz it seems like it's very much glossed over in the Star Wars universe. You know, there's this huge clone war and there's still clones left over after you know, after the fall of the the old republic and the empire and the rise of the empire, there were still clones. I mean, it's not like they just recycled them; they didn't turn them all into soylent people. See, uh, that, that's like if if I had one complaint about the Star Wars universe, it would be that people forget stuff super quick. I mean, like yes, yeah, I like Jedi that. are almost legends by the time yeah. of the original trilogy, even though it was really only nineteen years before. Well, I mean, you would have people who obviously, you know, were kids at that point that you know saw the Jedi firsthand, and now it's like, oh, Jedi, what are what are those? I've never, huh? What? I have to imagine part of that is is uh, Palpatine's uh, imperial propaganda to basically erase the Jedi from existence, uh, you know, to to prevent people from from remembering True. them or remembering them as a symbol of, of, uh, you know, uh, of order and peace. I mean, the flip side though, I mean, that, that was part of Palpatine's whole plan was to, to brand the Jedi as, as traitors to what at the time was the Republic. So, I mean, you know, at the very least you think people would be like, Oh, Jedi. Yeah. I remember those, those traitors. They tried to take down, you know, our, they tried to take down our entire planetary government, but they just, they don't you remember them at all. To, you'd also have to think too, that, I mean, 
it is an entire galaxy sized yeah. place. And so there's trillions of trillions of life forms and there were only like 10,000 Jedi at the most. Right. So, I mean, odds are you might've, you very well might've heard of Jedi, but the, you know, 99.9% .9 of the galaxy would have never actually met a Jedi. That's a fair point. Fair point. Yep. So, uh, you know, there's a bit of an exchange, uh, some fighting going on, and they, they finally agree to team up to go after uh, Gideon. So uh, this is actually the next scene is actually the first time they make direct reference to uh, the dark troopers. Mm -hmm. uh, the doctor, um, it gives them Intel uh, about Gideon's ship, basically saying he has a, I believe platoon is what he says of dark troopers. Um, and this is also where they reference the fact that these are gen three dark troopers uh, where there are 100% robotics. So for those of you that don't know, in the expanded universe, the legend stuff, Dark Troopers were originally uh, highly trained, I believe, half-cyborg force-injected uh, humans uh, in some pretty badass armor. Yeah, they were. Um, but, uh, and the Doctor even said, makes reference to the fact that these are Gen 3s and says the biggest problem with the dark troopers was the human element. So they're a hundred percent droids at this point. Uh, so we find out that they are in fact, uh, dark troopers. Which I mean, it also kind of goes to show just how much droid technology is, has changed. Cause the last time we saw, you know, that many heavily, uh, uh, combat ready droids was back in the prequel trilogy. And I mean, even the super combat droids, I mean, yeah, they were capable. I mean, even the regular, uh, uh, battle droids in numbers were super capable, but nowhere near what we're seeing with the Dark Troopers. Yeah, but I mean, if you really think about it, the technology of this universe doesn't change over thousands of years. It's like they hit yeah. the, the technology peak and then it's a, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, astromech droids have been around since the old time of the Old Republic, a thousand years in the past. Lightsabers yeah. are a thousand years old. Well, yeah, oh, even I mean, R2-D2, uh, by the time of the sequel trilogy, you know, is like a like a 70 some year old robot that can still interface with like all the like you know hdmi ports essentially <laughs> of their universe i mean so he, it's like, yeah how he should be in a museum at this point yeah it's like that would be like somehow me being able to have the car keys to like a model t still working on any car i would find <laughs> today it's a good analogy yeah, and it brings up a bit of a trope with like fantasy worlds and stuff like that, you know, in in you know, stories like Dungeons and Dragons and World of Warcraft. These societies have existed for literally tens of thousands of years and have not technologically advanced beyond a bow and arrow. Right. And it's a question of why. In my mind, it's for at least the fantasy World of Warcraft type series, it's the use of magic. Uh because they have magic, they don't have to advance technologically. You see creatures that don't use magic, like gnomes in World of Warcraft, that do have a more advanced technology. They do know magic, but they don't rely on it. So, uh, you know, I think in this case with Star Wars, maybe that magic is the Force. And it is, they have reached the peak of their 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 technological advancements because... You know, they rely, you know, the galaxy revolves around the force. I mean, yeah. well, also, I mean, once you create faster than light travel, I mean, I, we're, there isn't, I don't think, much technological places to go beyond that. I mean, they, they literally have clones. So, I mean, 
I mean, heck, they have clones. They have, you know, tubes of, of magic liquid that you can toss somebody in and they'll be healed in a couple days from just about any injury. Yeah. I mean, so they like, have they're, super they're, advanced AI. They have sentient yeah. robotic life. So. so, I mean, there's not really, at least with our understanding of how technology is, there's not much else that you can, you're kind of at the pinnacle. Where do you go when you've already reached the top of the mountain? Well, according to the villains of the Star Wars universe, just keep making more planet-killing uh, machines, but just keep making them bigger. Bigger. <laughs> that's right. no moon. Right, that's no planet. <laughs> that's no sun! That's no nebula! Yeah, that's well, no yeah what is hole. <laughs> Black hole um, buster. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, I think in your description, though, you were saying that essentially uh, Mando and his crew come up with a plan to storm uh gideon's light cruiser using the info that the good doctor gives them and basically they're just going to pretend that uh his shuttle that they've managed to keep is being under attack which uh the person attacking them were going to be uh boba fett and his slave <laughs> one to make the shots right. look convincing oh i will yeah <laughs> don't worry <laughs> princess yes <laughs> so you know they they start to execute this plan uh, they basically crash land the shuttle in the uh, the TIE fighter bay uh, to prevent more TIE fighters from launching. Boba escapes in Slave 1, and then they start, you know, they disembark. They start laying siege to uh, to this this light cruiser to try to get to uh, get to Gideon and, and the child. So, uh, you know, in the in the crew, we see, uh, you know, Cara Dune, we see uh, Bo-Katan, we see Casca, we have Fennec. Uh, going off to basically be a distraction while Mando tries to slink away to the, the cell block to rescue Baby Yoda. Uh, in the process, we also see Mando uh, trying to prevent the Dark Troopers uh, from, from, uh, from getting after them, because the Dark Troopers, what we didn't mention before, are stored in, basically in a, I don't know, their own storage area uh, because they draw too much power to stay active all the time. So they have to be activated, and it takes you know a few minutes to activate them. So Mando's trying to get there to to shut them down before they can fully activate. Uh, he gets there, but not until after the dark troopers have activated. So one of them makes it out the door, and he has to fight Mando. Uh, it's a really good it, fight scene. Yes, yeah, it, it establishes how terrifying one individual unit is, let alone yeah. a whole platoon. Right, because basically this dark trooper puts Mando literally through a wall. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Mando is able to, to overcome. He destroys this one dark trooper. The others are locked inside of their, their storage area trying to get out. But there it's at, the storage area is at the edge of the ship, so Mando jettisons, jettisons them into space. Uh, so now, I will also add the dark trooper is only taken down to the use of Mando's... Uh, recovered full beskar spear yeah because apparently i'm assuming they draw so much power because i'm assuming they're ray shielded in some way because all of his blaster shots just deflect off of it and even yeah. his whistling birds don't do much to it uh it, it's only once he has this essentially a thing you could basically call it a metal lightsaber since it you know is basically indestructible effectively uh, yeah. He, yeah so he stabs it so it's like well they only got that one spear. None of them have lightsabers, so it's like, how are you going to be able to kill all of these things? But luckily, <laughs> they get jettisoned out. Yep. So then uh, Mando goes off to find uh, Grogu. Meanwhile, uh, Kara and Bo and the team 
make their way up to the bridge, uh, slaughtering stormtroopers along the way. Um, Fennec has some pretty cool scenes in a cargo bay where, uh, you know, she's kind of dodges blaster bolts, uh, <laughs> you know, and sharpshoots, um, sharpshoots stormtroopers. Uh, so pretty neat. Uh, you see Cara Dune go, uh, go, uh, berserk mode with, uh, her, uh, heavy repeated blaster, uh, just mowing down stormtroopers a la minigun. Yeah. That was really cool to see. Yep. And, uh, it was very like uh, Arnold, yeah, and like Terminator is great. <laughs> yes, yeah, just she just goes goes to town on these stormtroopers, oh, yeah. and then they make it to the bridge. Uh, but you know who's missing from the bridge? Dun dun dun. Mm. Is 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 it meanwhile? Meanwhile, in the cell block. Uh, Mando makes it to to Baby Yoda's cell and uh, actually chokes out a stormtrooper with the uh, Beskar spear in a pretty brutal way. Yeah, uh, yeah, he stabs, like breaks his neck. Yeah, stabs the other one through. Stabs another one through the gut with the the spear. Um, opens the cell door and there's Gideon with Baby Yoda and the dark saber. Yep. Yes, the dark saber. Um, you know, we'll shorten it up here. There's a little bit of, you know, tit for tat, uh, quid pro quo, then some subterfuge, and then there's a, a fight. Beskar Spear versus Darksaber. Mando versus Gideon. It was a really, v- very, very well done fight scene. Yeah, yes. it's not particularly long, but it's, uh, you see, you know, Gideon putting everything he is. He's almost quite savage in his, uh, heavy blows with the Darksaber. Yeah, very much so. Well, from what I also saw and from what I've heard, that was actually Giancarlo Esposito doing the the fight. Oh, really? Uh, it was not a it was not a stunt double or anything like that. It was actually him doing the uh, the saber fight. Oh, nice. And That's I think awesome. that kind of lends itself to the authenticity of the scene because, again, uh, Gideon is not trained in the use of like these kind of weapons. Uh, you know, he's not a trained force user and that kind of stuff. So. He he's untrained and he's really truly relying on just savagery. And to, it, it works for the most day. part, right? Yeah, for uh, it definitely catches him off guard, and he seems to be you know doing well for most of the fight, right? Yes. Well, Mando eventually overcomes, takes Gideon into custody, takes him to the bridge where picks um, up the dark saber. Takes a yes, picks up the dark saber. Unfortunately for uh, our our uh, anti-hero Bo-Katan, uh, that's not a good thing. Yep. Because um, Bo-Katan's whole thing was she was trying to get the Darksaber because the Darksaber is a symbol. And without the Darksaber, she cannot lay claim to the throne of Mandalore. So, uh, and then... You know, Gideon is the conniving, sne- conniving kind of person that he is, planned pretty much all of this out uh, so that, you know, if he didn't kill Mando and Mando beat him, then at least Mando would be the one to get the Darksaber. Because the Darksaber can't be just gifted to somebody. It has to be taken through combat. You know, unless you're Sabine and you just hand it over, apparently. Now, I will... I, I, a lot of people pointed that out in online comments, and I do want to say that I think the reason why... Bo-Katan is so insistent upon, uh, you know, following the traditional rules that you win it through combat is because, for one, if I remember correctly, Sabine didn't really win the Darksaber through combat either. She just finds it and then uh, eventually gives it to uh, um, Bo-Katan. And Bo-Katan accepts it as a gift, but obviously her 
uh, leading the Mandalorians to freedom didn't work because the Great Purge happens and she yep. ends up losing it. So I think she's probably just, for lack of a better word, she's superstitious and is like, well, I didn't get the Darksaber. I didn't earn it like you're supposed to the last time. So this time I got to do it right or else, you know, I might get the bad juju again and it won't work out just like last time. The, actually, that's, I hadn't thought of it that way. That makes sense then. Yeah, and I think that I mean, explains why she needs the combat thing and isn't able to be gifted it, just like in Rebels. She she needs to show that she's worthy of being the Mandalore, not just a person that owns the pointy stick. Yes, and I mean, and, and, and Gideon points that out, like, you know, she'll just be a pretender. The, the weapon grants no real power, it's the story that grants it, and being right. gifted the sword is not a good story. That, very true, yeah. That makes sense, right. actually. So there is unfortunately this tension that is now building between Mando and Bo-Katan. Um, and unlucky for our party, the tension is broken when uh, a bunch of craft are approach uh, Gideon's light cruiser, which actually turn out to be the dark troopers that Mando had jettisoned into space. Oh, you, you, you mean they the ones that we saw fly the first time we saw them? <laughs> right. They have jet boots, folks. <laughs> so this platoon of probably 30-some dark troopers shows back up on the ship and slowly makes their way, their march towards the bridge where everyone is stationed. Uh, the bridge crew seals the blast doors to try to stop the dark troopers. Um, the dark troopers show up, and the two leading dark troopers basically just start punching the crap out of the doors. And the, yeah, they, they rock a stock of robots their way in. <laughs> well, yes. they do a pretty good job of it too. I mean, like the, I was—I didn't think they'd be able to get punched through a blast door, but they get yeah. through it. Well, I mean, because yeah, for the most part, apart from when uh, Qui Gon starts melting a blast door, those things, for the most part, are once they're closed, you're done. You know? Yeah. Right. Well, so. I will say this, that the sound design in this episode is amazing. Oh, yeah. The oh, sound yeah. design and the, the music and the composition is amazing. It builds so much tension. And they, the Dark Troopers have this almost like techno... Like, like dubstep gr Skrillex kind of stuff. Though. Right. It's like, you know, it's like techno grunge theme that's just very ominous. Right. Oh, and yeah. just evil. And so, you know, the, and the music and tension is just building. And of course the storm, the, the dark troopers are punching the door in line with the music. And it's almost a rhythm that just, it continues to build that tension and it, just, it, it builds and it builds and Gideon is sitting there. Giddy, Giddy, Gideon, Giddy, Gideon, uh, you know, because he's just waiting for his dark troopers to, come through the door and destroy our party and as this tension continues to build there's another proximity warning and our party turns around and and an x-wing flies by and i don't know about the rest of you guys but i literally got goosebumps dude like like as soon as i saw that i'm like rolling through the rolodex in my head of okay who who who's got an x-wing all right who's flown x-wings and like my my first thought, which is who it ended up being, I won't say yet. I'm like, nah, nah, they they did no, no. Yeah, well, Keenan and I, Keenan, Keenan and I watched the episode together, and uh, you know we <clears throat> we were watching the episode together, and we kind of we kind of looked at each other and we, uh, 
No, no, they wouldn't do that. W- would they? Would they do that? <laughs> we, no. We all had the same response. Oh, man. And I, I think actually, uh, so, you know, we're, we're watching this episode and kind of looking at each other and eyes wide, palms sweaty, you know, vomit on my sweater, mom's spaghetti. <laughs> um, <laughs> which that is the second Eminem reference we have had tonight during our, our extended <laughs> podcast. So, you know, we're just like, no, they wouldn't do, no, they wouldn't, no, no, no. So this X-Wing docks, essentially, and you see Bo-Katan basically flipping through security footage to try to find who is in this X-Wing. Um, and then you then she lands on a video and you just see a, a cloaked figure walking through the hallway in black and white mind you this is you know cctv uh, you know footage so there's no coloration you can't see anything their their video equipment that's where they can improve their tech <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah but again the empire's cheap uh, so th- you see this cloak figure and then you see another scene the next scene where you you st- it's still on the cctv footage you see uh, the cloaked figure fighting dark troopers and just, you know, deflecting blaster bolts and cutting out dark troopers, you know, and you know, the, the tension is still there, but it's different. It's a different tension yeah. because everyone's sitting there wringing their fingers going, who is it? Who is it? Who is this? Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Who is it? Who is this lightsaber wielding and... mystery person? Right. And... It continues, and, and Bo-Katan says, a, a Jedi? Which piques Mando's interest, and it also piques Gideon's interest. And he looks like he's scared shitless during yes, this yes, he he looks Yes, he looks like there's just a slow dawning and realization on Gideon's face going, Oh, hell. <laughs> because not only is it a Jedi, but I'm pretty sure he knows full well who specifically this Jedi is. Oh, yeah. And that's what scares him. Right. Oh, he has. So to then, so then the next scene, you see the dark troopers on a catwalk. Again, no guardrails. <laughs> uh, and then we finally see the first color shot of this Jedi, and it's actually a color shot of the lightsaber as they walk by. Yep. And it is green. And in my mind, I just went <laughs> and giggled like a schoolgirl. <laughs> same. Uh, same. And... It was epic oh, because yeah. it's like I mean the you know how many people own a green lightsaber and have a X wing and wear all black. Yep. Oh God, all the the dots connect. Yeah. And then the next scene, they show him show him with his with his arm extended. You can see his hand; it's gloved. You see his other hand, which is not gloved. Which I what do you think, guys? Should we just say who we pretty much know who it is at this point? Mace Windu. Yeah. yeah. Mace Windu, totally. Or uh, sorry, Samuel Jackson, back, it, back again. It, it's Cal. It's Cal. Um, so you know, we see this. We see this trooper or this person going, just fluidly obliterating dark troopers. You know, there's, there's no fully comment. utilizing their uh, uh, their force powers. You know, he's he's force pushing them off the the catwalk. He's slamming giant crates against them. He's deflecting, slicing through them with ease and grace. You know, someone fully in tune with both their fourth power, force powers and their lightsaber skills. Oh, yeah. Yep. So because it this... is Jedi Master at this point now, or soon to be Jedi Master, Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. So uh, 
and then at this point, Gideon also makes the same realization. And he's been hiding a blaster this entire time and decides to, you know, this is going to be my time. Attacks Bo-Katan, which apparently Beskar, I guess, just has a a thing that it, it attracts blaster bolts. I don't know, maybe, because <laughs> that, that seems that you, you know, there's a lot of Mandalorian, Mandalorians that, you know, a lot of the Mandalorian body that isn't covered by Beskar, but apparently they only get shot in the Beskar. Yeah, and at <laughs> point blank range, basically, he only hits the Beskar, but, you know, whatever, right. plot armor. You know, from, from right. somebody that has probably, you know, very obviously had at least some training with, you know, firearms since he's, you know, a moth. You know, he's yeah. probably well, he's pretty yeah. accurate. Well, yeah, yeah, so... Season one, he shoots the uh, the energy or the like the battery pack for the E-Web pretty accurately. <laughs> right. So, I mean, we'll, uh, you know, we will say that, um, I will say that Gideon is mildly handicapped at this point because he is wearing handcuffs, um, but... True. But, uh, so, Bo-Katan falls, uh, falls to the side, uh, stunned, obviously, that she was shot, <clears throat> um, and then he takes aim at Baby Yoda, Mando steps in, saves him, uh, and then Cardoon smacks him in the face with a butter for <laughs> rifle, which Thunk. is... Well, because he was going to just kill himself. He puts the gun yeah. against his chin, about ready to end his own life, realizing, well, I, you know, Luke is coming and I'm surrounded, there's no, there's no hope. But Caradoon doesn't allow him to get off that easy. Oh yeah, right. Smacks the gun away, smacks him in the face with her with her rifle. He falls down, uh, and that's actually it for for Gideon for the this episode. Uh, but then we cut back to Luke Skywalker in the hallway again, fighting more or in a hallway fighting more Death Troopers, uh, and then he, uh, I'm sorry, Dark Troopers. Um, and then he walks into the elevator. The dark troopers that are in front of the bridge turn around and go to meet him at the elevator. And any Star Wars fan at this point <laughs> is going, "Oh my God, uh, is he going to get his? Is he getting his Vader moment? Is he getting <laughs> a Rogue One? Are they doing a Rogue One? They're pulling a Rogue One." <laughs> and guess what, folks? He didn't get a Rogue One. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he totally got a Rogue One and just obliterates oh, dark yeah. troopers. Well, like, in this hallway, cutting yeah. them apart, force, you know, force pulling them to slice them, force pushing them, and then force crushing them. That was the, that was the cherry on the cake right there for me. Oh yeah, yeah. that that got me. I'm just like that was that was so awesome, and and, and you know, and it also hints at you know his you know he like father like son, you know. He, he won't force choke somebody necessarily, but he will force crush the crap out of a non-living robot. <laughs> also, well, I mean, if you think sand. about it, though, uh, Mace Windu did the same thing to Grievous. That's why Grievous had the rasp. You know, Mace yeah, Windu true. force crushed, uh, force crushed Grievous um, in the original uh, Gendy Tartakovsky five-minute little cartoon segments that were hand animated for the clone wars it was like the prequel of the clone wars yep. uh, it was like six right. six episodes or something like that it's like six to eight episodes or something yep. it was only five minutes long and um mace windu force crushes grievous i think in the very last episode yeah. which causes him to have the limp and the rasp because his organs are now damaged now the, the animated one's not considered canon anymore is it just no, just just the cg one the CG one is canon, yeah. and I think I don't know. I those cartoons were so good, though. I wish yeah. that they would they, they would be considered canon because there were really cool fight scenes. They, they were, yeah, they were very well done. I don't understand how they how they could not be canon when pretty much all the stuff that was in it leads up to 
Clone Wars and, and right, stuff. right. Well, I mean, they and, reuse a lot of it because Asajj Ventress made her first real appearance. That is that. true, and they reuse her in Clone Wars, and she has basically the same story arc, but um, they do do things a little different. And then, like the character Dirge was quite interesting, but he doesn't reappear in the Clone Wars, so he's not canon anymore. Right? Did they kill him though? They do kill him within that show, yes. But I mean, he could have reappeared in the Clone Wars, the the CGI series, but right, doesn't. True. So, and I will say, uh, Asajj is, is, from that era, w- one of my more favorite characters, especially if you read uh, some of the, the, the canonized novels about, you know, what she did after all the Clone Wars stuff. It, 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 she's yeah. actually a really, really interesting character. Really good character arcs, too. Yep. yep. But yeah, so, L- Luke, you know, Rogue One hallway scene, we <laughs> get the light side version, we get to see that Jedi can also be total badasses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, uh, going back to something we mentioned earlier, Bo-Katan, she's alive, she, the Beskar just took the hits, and she was kind of stunned. Although she does walk with a limp now, so I don't know, maybe a, maybe the, maybe they just still feel the impact, but it's just not lethal? Uh, I don't know. She might have, you know, um, she twisted her ankle or something when she fell. Yeah, we'll go yeah. with that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, Mando lets Luke in, um, and... They reveal his face, and what did you guys think? Like it, it was a shock to see young Mark Hamill in a new, effectively Star Wars live action property. Um, like you know, all of us were like, okay, you know, he's got the green lightsaber, he's got the one gloved hand, he's got the uh, black black robes, he's got the X wing, it's Luke Skywalker. But the moment where he took off his hood just cemented it for me and i i was i was beside myself seeing that you know and not only do you get the hood coming off but you also get you know the like music playing yes with it which made which gave that gave me chills that that made me almost cry it was just same it was same very epic but then as far as the cgi goes for one, I did not think they were going to go the CGI route. That's kind of why I thought Luke Skywalker wasn't available. Because to me, I'm like, they're not going to do CGI Luke. And they're probably not going to recast, even though Mark Hamill's given his blessing for Sebastian Stan. Which, yeah, um, I, I am behind that 100%. Same. He's a good actor, and he looks a lot like younger Mark <laughs> Hamill. Yes, he but does. But when they lift it, you, you see him, and I thought... I, I was just too into the moment to really care. But upon closer examination... It's a little off. It's not the worst de-aging yeah. I've ever seen, but it does feel a little wrong. So I would think that if they ever do future Mark Hamill de-age, that they spend a tiny bit more time making it look a little bit better. But it's also Mark frickin' Hamill back yeah. as, as real Luke Skywalker, not Jake Skywalker from The Last Jedi. You mean, you mean drunk Uncle Luke? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say that, like, I, I do agree with you on that. They It, it did... Rewatching it, it does look a little off. Uh, I actually saw a video on YouTube where somebody put that scene, but then they themselves made a deep fake of Luke, and the deep fake actually looks better. Like it, there's just yeah. there there was something about the the DH one. It wasn't bad. I want to make that very clear. I did not think it was bad, but there was something in his jaw area that just that's at least to me that's the area I noticed it the most where it was just not yeah. quite right. And I don't the know. The lips if... didn't move right for me. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. Uh, do you, well, do you guys know? Did Mark do 
the body work for that? Is that him standing there in no. like DH's face, or do they have another actor? No. In the cast, had, there had... is a, somebody listed as the, the body double for the Jedi. Okay, so then, then I'm, I'm wondering if it's just a matter of that body double's face didn't quite match up to how young Mark would look, so they had to tweak it so that you wouldn't it wouldn't break the illusion effectively. I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. So, Probably yeah. likely. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it is... So it is... Mark Hamill is credited, and it is his voice mm-hmm. that speaks when Luke speaks, but he, yes, Keenan was correct. It is a body double. Um, I can't remember the person's name, but, uh, you know, did a very good job with the action scenes, Oh, for yeah, sure. very, very much so. So... Yeah, I mean, again, this was the episode that we've been waiting for forever, especially those of us who saw the original trilogy. Oh, yeah. Who then saw the sequel, who also saw the sequel trilogy and were so disappointed by 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 drunk Uncle Luke. Because we never got we never got to have Luke being a real badass. No, see, like I, I'm odd man out here. I like drunk Uncle Luke. I think he is one, he's one of my favorite characters of the sequel trilogy. Just because of how crotchety Mark Hamill made, you know, portrayed him, I I loved that. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, to Mark your point, ha- Mark Hamill's great, so like anything he does, I'll still support on oh, some yeah. level. Oh yeah, but you know, to your point, we we never really got to see him be, you know, that that badass Jedi that you know that that people tell stories about around the campfire. You never get to see that, so I mean, it was nice to finally get that and to see him in his prime too. You know. I mean, at the end of Return of the Jedi, I mean, even the name of the movie implies this. I mean, the story ends with Luke being the Return of the Jedi and presumably, you know, carrying on Yoda's wish of starting the Jedi Order. And so, you know, for 30 years, we didn't get, you know, what would happen after that. But, I mean, presumably, you're left with this expectation that he's going to become a badass Jedi Master. But we never ended up ultimately seeing that, and I mean, we could argue the merits of whether you know, uh, grumpy old man Luke was you know <laughs> the right direction to go. But we still didn't get that badassness though. Like right. we we wanted to see him be a Jedi Master because in that, I mean, he he severed his connection from the Force for most of the movie, so you don't see right. any of that really. That's true. That's so true. we just we get the we just get the expectation that the movie itself even leaves us with but we you know no one has gotten in you know all the years until this episode very true yeah, very true it, it it's uh you know it it was a very <clears throat> it was a very poignant moment uh, i think in star wars for for most of us fans and i've at this point i've watched several hours of reaction videos to it and <laughs> you know it just seeing the amount of people that go crazy and start crying once they realize it's Luke and everything else. It's just, it's a testament to how invested people are emotionally to this, this, this universe and this mythos and everything else. And, uh, you know, it was a, this was a, this season was a perfect shout out to the fans in every way possible of star Wars they've they gave us back the stuff that we lost with this the sequel trilogy you know we didn't get badass luke we didn't get badass boba we we didn't get boba at all yeah you know we there was so much that we just didn't we weren't given and this is this is the movie that we the movies that we wanted um but yeah so you know wrapping up the episode luke comes back 
Hawks to Mando. Mando uh, convinces Mando to, to let the child go, and Mando starts to say his goodbyes, and you know, is is so in touch with the baby with, with Grogu that actually takes his helmet off yeah. uh, for the first time in front of Grogu. Gro- they Grogu has never seen Mando's face, as far as we know, until this point. Yeah. So you know, there's a very, very emotional exchange between them. Uh, and then again, kind of as a nod to the fans, R two D two comes <laughs> in the room and. And you know we get to see R two again, not the, the, the not real the... celebrity cameo of this episode, dude. And also, just you know, as a as a like a little child, just how adorable and great is it that Grogu and R two D two are obviously going to be friends? Oh yeah, like I'm, I'm already. I want to see that series. I want to see the adventures of R two and Grogu. Yeah, and also think about the the re, the way that R two and Luke must feel seeing Grogu. Oh yeah, uh, being both like this is wow a, a, a baby yoda they they would have to make that it's like wow it's so odd to to see one of his kind again and you right. know, get all those memories and you can kind of see the look on luke's face when he does pick up grogu and you know hold him in his arms as he goes to take him away you can see almost that look of recognition and almost that tinge of sadness of remembering you know master yoda right i mean yep. and, and luke's gone full circle from being trained from of, from somebody like that to tr- now training somebody like that again yeah. we still don't know what that that race even is but but still yeah it's full circle you know and the other thing i think keenan you and i talked about this before is given that r2's never had his memory banks erased as far as we know it's very possible he knows who grogu is i mean he would have spent time with anakin and obi-wan in the jedi temple i have to imagine they would have seen the younglings at one point i mean it's not like there's thousands of younglings in the jedi temple it, you know it seems like there's a relatively small batch so yeah. i have to imagine that that r2 knows or at least recognizes grogu right and grogu may very well recognize him i mean yeah. r2d2 being excited might not be just him recognizing a species of yoda it might be specifically recognizing grogu hey i know this kid like right. oh crap you're well, from like 60 years ago well see, and, and some people have actually uh, uh suggested that theory that, that r2 as another another name out of the hat that r2 is the one oh, that yeah. saved grogu and i'm like okay yeah, now we're reaching yeah he just shoves him inside of him like all right just you're gonna be okay <laughs> ignore uh, the body r2d2 <laughs> R- is a swiss army knife he probably just has like a like a uh like a stroller that can come out of him or something. <laughs> you know, I could see that his his head pops up and you just put a baby right there. Yeah, he 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 has like an inflatable uh, like the the little baby backpacks he can wear. <laughs> there you go. I can see that he's got everything else. Yep. So you know, Grogu goes with with Luke, and that's the end of the episode. Well, that... almost the end of the episode. Well, I mean... Correct. Now, so b- then we well, jump... before we get to that though, I, like with with everything we've seen with with Mando, I mean he's he's completed this mission of bring the child to one of his own kind. He now has the dark saber, which is setting up that conflict between him and Bo Katan. Where do you guys think the series is going to go next? My uh... personal hope is that the show is called The Mandalorian, not The Mandalorian and Grogu. 
And so, and I feel like, you know, Dave Filoni has explored Mandalorian history heavily in mm-hmm. both the Clone Wars and Rebels. And I think that setting up this conflict with the Darksaber and Bo-Katan is leading to the show, The Mandalorian, starting to dive deeper into specifically Mandalorians. And I think it's going to basically follow Bo-Katan and Din, who, now that he doesn't have Grogu, is going to essentially, I think, take it upon himself to work with Bo-Katan and uniting Mandalorians. It's going to be them flying around trying to reunite the Mandalorian clans to retake Mandalore. But I think Din is going to essentially be Jon Snow and that he's going to be viewed as a reluctant leader because he's the rightful owner of the Darksaber. And so the Mandalorian clans will agree to take Mandalore, but not under Bo-Katan, more under Din Djarin. And I think Mm -hmm. that's going to slowly piss off Bo-Katan to the point that with Gideon possibly whispering in her ear as well, will eventually lead to them having a conflict with each other. That could be a really interesting way to take it, actually. I like that. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Keenan on this. You know, I feel like they're going to start exploring more of the uh, the Mandalorian uh, component of this. Do I think we have seen the last of Grogu? No, no, absolutely not. Just from a money standpoint, they're not (laughs) going to get rid of him. Exactly. No, I mean, hell, he might even show up towards the end of next season. Who knows? Um, I mean, have we? We we're going to see more of of these characters. We're going to see Grogu. Um, as much as I'm invested in, I love this show. It kind of makes me wonder, are they going to do a Luke Skywalker show? Maybe please. Well, and I've heard, I've heard some people say that maybe Grogu will appear in intermittent scenes throughout season three, where we see him training with Luke. So like Grogu won't be with Mando, but we'll still get to see Grogu. That that would be a really interesting way to do it. That way he's, he's still you know, at the uh, fresh and making appearances for fans, but it won't be centered around him. Yeah, it won't be Din just basically always trying to protect Grogu. We can right. move on to this new, you know, arc of saving Mandalore. I could see right. that. I can see that working pretty well, actually. But yeah. a new Luke show would also be fantastic. So I'm yes, also fine yes. if they just want to have him have his own show. I <laughs> I will pay all the monies for that. <laughs> Yes. So, you know, I think I have a lot of faith in John Favreau and Dave Filoni based upon the first two seasons and Filoni's previous work with Clone Wars. He is a master at storytelling and was mentored directly in this universe by George Lucas. And Lucas made appearances on the sets uh, for Mandalorian, so you know he Lucas is still he's not directing, but he's still providing creative input to this universe and still, you know, giving them feedback about how all this will work. So, uh, you know, season three, I'm looking forward to. I don't, I really don't know what they're gonna do, but I, I'm sure I'm gonna enjoy it no matter what. Now, I, I think my thoughts on it, I think, are going to lead into what happens after the credits. But the show is called The Mandalorian, not The Mandalorian Dinjarin, not The Mandalorian Bo-Katan, The Mandalorian. And I started thinking about this more after a conversation you and I, uh, you and I had, Ian, about this post-credit scene that the show is just going—it's going to transition to be about 
the Mandalorian, whoever the title character happens to be at the time. So what happens after the credits, guys? Let's talk about that. Yes, yeah, so credits uh, credits roll. Then all of a sudden we jump to Tatooine. Again. And Jabba's... Yes. That is apparently a planet favorite for being <laughs> you know out in the middle of nowhere dust ball. <laughs> uh, we, get, we go back to Tatooine, specifically Jabba's palace. And we go, you know, camera goes into Jabba's palace. And who do we see in Jabba's palace? Bib Fortuna, of all people. He's uh, packed on a few pounds and is kind of looking huddish himself. Yes, very much so. He's kind of uh, taken on the appearance of Jabba. Yes, so he's sitting there with his uh, with his underlings and a, another Twi'lek uh, a chain to the throne, like you know, like they do. Do you, do you think that those, those just come standard if somebody buys Jabba's palace? Well, we you know we've got the uh, the kitchen over here. It's very roomy. We have your throne. Uh, the Twi'leks come pre-installed. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Bad. Yeah, it's, I mean, they're, 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 yeah, they're, they're, they're just really shit on. It's terrible. Uh, but, poor uh, poor Twi'leks, poor Twi'leks. Right. So we, you know, we see the, the scene unfold, and then we hear blaster fire. Uh, you know, someone gets shot from the stairwell. And, uh, you know, Bib Fortuna looks at one of his, his underlings and, and uh, shoes them off to the, the, the door to check it out and utters, what phrase does he utter, gents? McClunky. I had to pause it. I'm like, they didn't just drop McClunky, did they? (laughs) They did. So I love I love the fact that they're able to poke fun of themselves a little bit. And be like, you know, why why not? Let's make let's own McClunky. (laughs) Yes. So McClunky. Uh the underling runs the stairs and then promptly gets shot in the face. Um and then you see Fennec come down the stairs and she takes out all of his guards and then takes out the chain holding the Twi'lek because she's cool and maybe, you know, just girl power. There we go. Um, and then, of course, there's Fennec, so who else is going to be there? Uh, Boba comes down oh, the yeah. stairs and he's got his signature blaster rifle. He's got his armor and Bib Fortuna recognizes him and, and has an exchange, you know, Boba, so good to see you alive. You know, I, I, I'd heard so many rumors about you, and then Boba shoots him in the chest. I thought, so, the, I thought the sand sphincter ate you. <laughs> Boba shoots him. Boba goes up to the throne, shoves the corpse out of the way, slowly and menacingly sits on the throne while uh, Fennec goes and grabs a bottle of uh, Spotchka. And uh, takes a drink out of that, and then we see uh, Quick Jump to Black, The Book of Boba Fett, coming December 2021. Which originally is when they announced Season 3 of Mandalorian to come out before they announced this. Which leads back into why I think that it may not necessarily be Din Djarin who's leading Season 3. It may transition to Boba Fett. And well, it, I don't want to. I don't want to crap too much in your Wheaties, but um, I believe that I read an article that Dave Filoni and John Favreau have said that um, Book of Boba Fett it will be next, but Mandalorian season three will happen after uh, Book of Boba Fett is aired. So hmm. um, they're they will film Book of Boba Fett and then they will film 
Mando season three right after it, but and then they will come out in that order as well. Book of Boba oh. Fett comes out next year, and then so Boba Fett is going to be its own show. However, I will say that before they officially announced it and they let, had that just sitting there for a while, I totally agree with you, Tim, that I could see very much how that could be the case right. because for one it's called the book of boba fett and all the episodes are referred to as chapters yeah so they're keeping with that book theme going on so i'm like okay and you're right i mean it's just called the mandalorian we assumed din is that mandalorian but i mean boba fett is the mandalorian he's the one that helped create the entire race right. so it didn't seem you know and yeah and it was announced at the same time that season three was going to come out so i could totally see the logic and for a while i'm like man is that what it's going to be is this going to turn into just a boba fett show and we've essentially closed the book on the story of of din that would have been interesting i mean but but after seeing this uh, kind of harkening back to this final episode especially even if you just look at the the conflict the setup between you know mando and uh bo katan that story is not closed even if we just take only that one instance and it, it would be a huge disservice to just gloss over that and have, you know, Bo-Katan show up with the Darksaber later and go, oh, oh yeah, I defeated them in combat. Like, oh, and then also, really? <laughs> the characters are, I mean, they've done, I actually want to go back to this real quickly, but th this kind of ties in, but the characters, the original characters of the show are so well done oh, yeah. that it would be a disservice to uh, the, 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 their own fan base. Like, Luke coming in and R2-D2 coming in and Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tano and all that, that is fantastic, and I love it. But Din and Cara Dune and Fennec Shand and Grief Karga and everybody else have become really fantastic characters oh, on their own. And I want to see their story. And right. the fact that I still got teared up and goosebumpy seeing Din take his helmet off to show essentially his son his face for the first time. Dude, Very like, Darth Vader taking his mask off to see Luke with his own eyes in Return of the Jedi. It was a beautiful mirror moment. And that moment was as powerful and cool as Luke appearing. And it oh, just yeah. goes to the testament of how well-crafted these characters are. So it would be an absolute disservice to not continue Din and his friends' adventures, especially oh, yeah. when they have some conflict set up already. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and they, I mean, and they left it off at, at a season finale, so, I mean, they got to do something with it. Right, and it's something that, you know, they don't explore or they don't directly tell you in the show, but, you know, part of Mandalorian heritage is actually that uh, the father, the Mandalorian father, plays the, the key role in the, the rearing of the children in, you know, education and, and life skills and all that other stuff. So it's actually a, <clears throat> a pretty bad insult uh, among Mandalorians if you say someone like your father is worthless or, you know, you insult their father. It's actually a very insulting thing. So, you know, we... We see uh, Din take such a shining to Grogu because of the, I think not only because of this, but just, you know, the way Din is as a, as a character, as a person. But, you know, it's it's ingrained in Mandalorian culture that he is a father to this, to, to Grogu. And, you know, he takes that, he's really taken to that responsibility. Oh, yeah, very much so. Taken to the responsibility so much to the point that he's willing to, um, break this dogma that he's been raised under which he's been i mean the the walls of that have been tearing down throughout the series and especially in season two but he realizes that uh this code of taking off my helmet is not worth upholding uh in comparison to this 
relationship, this father-son relationship I have now developed, it is worth more than, you know, some simple rules that I have to follow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot that's coming, and I think, like I said earlier on in this session, I, I think they're going to be they're going to be pulling a Marvel here and tying these different shows and, and people together in various different ways. Uh, and really kind of these, they, they live in a connected universe. Again, some of the shows that they announced or some of the things they announced are going to be their own offshoots and whatnot. Like the, the rogue squadron is going to be a movie. It's going to be on its own. Um, uh, I think acolyte is supposed to be set during the old Republic era type thing. Um, from what I heard, but it could just be a you know a misnomer for like the Luke Skywalker show and the Grogu's going to be yeah. like and, and yada yada yada. Anyway, um, well, I mean, and then the, uh, the Obi Wan show, I mean, that's pretty much going to stand separate just for timeline. And, and that's a limited series, I believe. Yeah. It's just a mini series, and plus, yeah, it's taking place uh, in between uh, three and four. Yep, which I, I'm excited for that one. I, I particularly loved Ewan McGregor's rendition of Obi Wan. All the and all I'm the very fast happy that they have. And I'm very happy Hayden Christensen is coming back as Darth Vader. I am yeah. very for allowing him to be uh, to get some better material with which to act with. I and hate kind sand. of redeem himself. Sand gets everywhere. I hate it. <laughs> right. So you know, if he you... was going for a petulant, whiny teenager, he does it very well. <laughs> but it's just the writing of it was not the most, you know, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, we've got all of these opportunities to interconnect and really rebuild this universe, and honestly, I kind of hope that what they do is they take these series and they they basically decanonize the sequel series. They were fun movies, but for, as a Star Wars fan, I was grossly disappointed with the direction that they went with the, the story um, and, the, and the way they characterize people. So I'd love it if they decanonized those movies and basically took the universe into another direction. See, um, my, my they thoughts... go with the Filoni-verse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, my thoughts on the sequels. If you took out all the, the legacy characters, you took out, you know, Skywalker, Leia, Han, all them, and just, like, made it its own, like, separate Star Wars thing, it would have been fine. But they tried to shoehorn in so much of the old stuff to remind people, hey, you're watching Star Wars. You know that, right? Well, yeah, we saw the title scroll. But they, they, they forced that on so much that I, I think that was its weak point. You know, had they set the, had they made this a movie set in, like, Old Republic era or High Republic era, like they're, they're getting ready to do some books on now, I think it would have, you know, stood on its own, no problem. But again, that's, that's my point, is they, they shoehorned in you know, and shove down people's throats so much that, hey, this is Star Wars, don't forget it, Star Wars. Did we mention this is Star Wars? That it it, it ruined it, to me. It, it was, um, I, I think that's a very excellent point. I do think, honestly, yeah, I could have lived with it. It just, if you're trying to go for that, it's a continuation of the saga with which we had gotten before, it feels so disconnected, because yeah. other than having legacy characters... It just feels like the galaxy reset after episode six and that this is essentially a retelling of the original trilogy that just happens to have some of those old characters in it. It really should have just been its own thing. Well, especially like episode seven was, I mean, all, I mean, most people, some people even call that a remake of episode four. 
because it started off, you know, kid with a kid with an unknown heritage on a desert planet gets gets uh, you know swept up into intergalactic conflict and ends up fighting bad guys with a planet destroying weapon. Yeah, it's it, it has many of the same beats and yeah. story elements and character things, and they, they never gave it a chance to stand on its own as its own new entry into the saga. I mean, here's one way to think about it: if you're just thinking it as a continuation. The end of Return of the Jedi ends with the New Republic eminently going to be reestablished. Luke is going to reestablish the Jedi Order. The Empire, you know, the Emperor's dead and Darth Vader's dead. The Death Star is destroyed. They're going to be on their heels. Things are going well. But then apparently 30 years pass and nothing has really changed. In 30 years, the Jedi are still basically extinct. The yeah. Empire still exists in some form um, and all this. So it's kind of like... It almost feels like whatever happened in those 30 years, that's what the sequel trilogy should have been about. It's like, that's a lot of really important things in that a are short just time. relegated to, yeah, in a short time that are just relegated to, like, expositional dialogue. It's like, no, 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 no. We should get a movie about that. That seems like an important event. Now, see, well, I mean, they, they, they kind of talk about, you know, why the First Order exists. It's like a one line. It's like a throwaway line, like. Oh, Imperial Remnants, we couldn't destroy them, so we signed a peace treaty. Right. Or, a cease, or I don't even know, I think it was a ceasefire or an armistice or something. Right. Now, see, if, if, they, if they wanted to go, if it, if it was me, if I was the one that created the new uh, trilogy, and I wanted to make it connected, I would have gone with, okay, well, where did we end with Return? All right. Empire's defeated. Okay, so we got to come up with a new big bad. You know, everything's going good here. Luke's starting up a Jedi Temple. Cool, let's make the new character one of Luke's students. Right. Have the have the Jedi Order, you know, not necessarily as grandiose as it was in the prequels, but, you know, Luke's got, we'll say, 20 to 30 students, you know. Not all of them are going to get screen time. You know, have like, you know, one or two have the love interest, have the, 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 the comedic, uh, comedic relief character as per Star Wars formula. And have the new big bad be something that's threatening the Jedi directly, not necessarily the galaxy at large, but you know maybe some you know unknown Sith Lord was hi you know hiding out in the darkness somewhere. Maybe there's some ancient prophecy since Star Wars is big on those and forgot about them in the, uh, the sequels. So have it be or something do like do old legend stuff and bring yeah. uh and like the Yuzhong Vong kind of thing. Have yes, an absolutely. Alien race that like is either immune to the force or maybe even feeds upon the force. So it's like a direct threat to the force and therefore the Jedi itself. Yeah. See, and, and that like, to me, I think that would have gone over a lot better because you're still, you're still honoring the legacy of where you came from, but you're making it something new. You're not making, you know, the main character and, and their, you know, non shirt wearing cousin, boyfriend, whatever thing, uh, you know, Ben Swallow, Ben Swallow. Thank you. You're not making them like, okay, well, this is a main character because he's a descendant of the Skywalker blood. She's a main character because she's, you know, uh, the Emperor's blood. Like, no, you didn't have to have that, you know? No. And you could even still have included, you know, Ben in there. Have Ben be another student at Luke's Academy and still kind of keep that arc where he falls to the dark side. And maybe he teams up with, you know, the new big bad that's threatening the Jedi. You know, maybe that he, you know, he's, they've got some power that is even more tempting than the dark side. Who knows? You know, there could have been a, you know, a million different things that could have done with it. But, I mean, we got what we got. Was it terrible? No. Again, I'm, I'm a big fan of Drunk Uncle Luke. But I think it could have been better. It, it definitely, to me, it, 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 the problem is that it didn't honor the legacy. 
Whereas The Mandalorian and all these new shows, to me, thus far, have proved time and time again that they do honor the legacy and the, mm-hmm. and the previous history and lore of Star Wars. Oh, and that's absolutely. why it's so appealing. And that's why I, I, Ian you know, brought this up initially. And I've heard lots of people on you know, Star Wars Reddit forums and things like that talking about how they kind of hope that this show almost decanonizes everything by creating like its own separate timeline, kind of. Like maybe this, these shows are going to lead to some kind of divergence where something happened that could have led to the sequels, but these shows are now... Uh, branching off to this other divergence point. Right, well, um, and, and I could see the appeal, but no matter what it is, whether they do an alternate timeline or not, these shows are just pure Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Well, and Ian and I kind of kind of touched on that a while back. We've already seen that, you know, Rebels is canon. We've already seen that some form of time travel, for lack of a better description, exists in the Star Wars universe. I mean, you, you see Ezra literally pull... Uh, Ahsoka out of time into a place beyond time. So we know that time travel in some sense does kind of exist in Star Wars. So it's it's entirely well, even possible. Even if they didn't even if they didn't technically canonize it there, uh the it's gonna be odd to say this. The new Star Wars holiday special that they did in Lego. <laughs> Which was fantastic by the way. It is fantastic and totally redeems uh, the Star Wars. <laughs> totally redeems Star Wars in a holiday sense. Oh yeah. Uh, also does time travel. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Albeit in a in a weird, funny way. You know, they play it off as funny and fun and whatnot. But um, it's it also does time travel yep. and and shows that it exists in the universe. So now it's a. Uh, not necessarily canon, but hey, look at half the stuff they've pulled in that's not that's from Legends that's not canon anymore, and they've, you know, for the most part, made most of that work. Yeah. So, I mean, Mando, what, I, what I'm going to say is Mando does a fantastic job of setting the stage for so much more. And it's it's given, it's done so well. It's given us fan service. It's given us emotion. It's given us you know th- these stories and the these these things that we've been wanting for so long, and even stuff that we didn't know we wanted, right? We didn't necessarily know that we wanted live action Bo-Katan, but hey, it works and it's great. Oh yeah, we didn't you know we didn't know that we wanted you know Baby Yoda, but we got sure. it. Now we can't get enough <laughs> of it. Right? You know exactly. <laughs> it's it's like Star Wars crack. Uh, you know, it's before... like those macaroons that he wanted. Yeah, exactly. The the the, the blue macaroons. What is with them in blue food? I was gonna say, do you think the blue macaroons yeah, right? are made yeah. from bantha milk? Yeah, they gotta be, right? I mean, they're they're blue. They're, they're, they're weird green color. <laughs> that or they're made from like the weird green milk that Luke, Grandpa Luke <laughs> sucks out of the, the the alien titties. I was gonna say the, the the look that he gives Ray right after he drinks that 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 that's it for me right there. I could the movie could have ended right there and I'd have been happy. Yeah, I think I think the movie could have ended there, and most people would have been happier than the way it did end. Um, yeah, so Mando does a lot. Oh yeah, for Star Wars, and it's done more for Star Wars in you know sixteen episodes than I think we've had in a long time. Yeah, and it's been fantastic and so much fun and i'm very much looking forward to what they have to offer here in the near future and you know 
2020 was a, a hell of a year, but yeah. you know, 20, this kind of, this is the kind of stuff that makes me look forward to 2021. And I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to broaden the scope and say that, you know, everyone was, a, was afraid when Disney bought Lucasfilm. Yeah. Like, Oh man, the house of mouse, yeah. they're, they're taking them. They're taking over more. Everybody had the same thought when Disney bought Marvel, but look how good that look, turned out. Yeah, look yeah. at how look at the amount sheer amount of money that Disney has made off of Marvel and off that acquisition. And not only but has they made money, purchased... but it's also just good. Like, yeah, it's not it's not bad. I mean, people it... aren't shelling out all this money just because it's Marvel. It's because it's good Marvel. Well, I mean, right. e- even even you know marvel's bad stuff still led into good stuff like i mean we're i'm gonna drop thor 2 here thor 2 was arguably arguably their weakest point but the but stuff from that still fed into things later so i mean it still worked out in the long game for them right you know so So even their bad stuff's good right so i mean marvel disney bought marvel and then Disney bought Lucasfilm, and everybody's like, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know." And admittedly, they had a rocky start. The, yeah. the sequel trilogy was a rocky start. It was, it was a rough way to get to re to get Star Wars into the the new into the new generation. Um, maybe for the maybe for the new Zoomer generation, the those folks that haven't seen Star Wars, it would be a, a good introduction, right? To to the movie to the series. But for, for us older fanboys who really were kind of the target audience, I feel like. Well, yeah, again, uh, going back to my point about, you know, forcing you know, all the legacy stuff down your throat. Right. But now we're getting to that point where we're getting interconnected universe and, and it, it's good. Right. Like, we're, we're, getting, we're getting good stuff out of Lucasfilm. And then, you know, Disney just want Fox. So, you know, what is, you know, what... Disney's making all the right moves in the in the industry. They're they know the properties to to get a hold of. Oh yeah. And then you know they're they're doing what they need to in order to get to make those properties successful. So you know. You know one thing with the Disney thing and Marvel that uh, I had a thought of is that season two of the Mandalorian. I mean, we've been what sitting here. For like three and a half hours, yeah. waxing poetic about how amazing this season has been, but then, and we're talking about how you know it's do it's honoring the legacy, it's doing all the thing, it's uniting the fan base. We're getting pumped about you know where the future of Star Wars is going to go and how Disney you know has sort of redeemed themselves. The thing though is, is that at the same time, I, I, the season two of Mando also kind of makes me mad because it makes me think, why weren't the sequels, the actual official movies part of the saga as good. Like how come it took them like five years to figure out how to make star Wars great. Right. That's a valid like, point. It's, it's just like, man, why we're, what's your problem? And I think it goes to why Marvel ended up being successful and why these are successful. It's that Filoni and Favreau obviously have a plan. Right. They actually figured out, what their overarching point, this interconnected universe is. They have an idea going through, and for some reason, when they started the sequels, it's just like they were so hot to trot that they got this, you know, $4 billion Star Wars franchise they just bought, that they're just like, screw it. Let's not get a plan. Let's just get this out as quickly as possible while the, you know, the the pan's still hot. 
And I think that was the mistake. It's like they just didn't plan. And I don't know why they didn't do that. I mean, they already had this interconnected, really planned universe with Marvel, and that worked out fantastically for them. You would think they would have just done the same thing, but they didn't. It just, or they did, but it just took them five years and with the TV <laughs> series. Right. I think part of that lends itself to the fact that the, the sequel trilogy did this thing where they were, you know, going to have three different directors and yeah three different writers and everyone was kind of, I mean, it kind of follows an overarching story, you know, theme, but it's, you know, they kind of let everybody do their own thing. And again, I, I, I would have been interested to see what Colin Trevorrow had to offer for um, his actually, rendition. Uh... I don't know if you guys saw it, but a uh, Colin Trevorrow, at least one of his drafts of his episode nine, which was going to be called The Duel of Fates, yep, um, was released, and you can read it. And it's and actually pretty it good. Is, it's actually like it, I thought just the description of it was actually better than Rise of Skywalker. Like if they made that pretty close to what that script was, I would have been very happy with it. Yeah. I think it would have been a bit more satisfactory as a conclusion. And I think would have helped tied. I think it would have helped redeem the other previous movies. No, no, I, I, so I it's agree. kind of a shame. It's kind of a shame that they didn't go with that script. And it's also kind of a shame that they maybe just should have gone with just JJ Abrams or at least one person going through all three movies. I, I mean, at least that way you've got that, that, you know, the same mind behind the lens as it were, to kind of keep everything cohesive. But yeah, when you're, you know, doing so many different uh, directors and all this, that, and the other, it's gonna, things are gonna get muddled. Things are gonna get lost. And you're gonna, you know, when it comes down to it, it's like, well, I guess I gotta do the best I got with what's laid in front of me. Yeah. And it's not only that they're different, but they didn't have a plan. You know, the original yeah. trilogy movies had three different directors and they had different writers on most of the scripts. There were some shared ones because obviously George you know, had input, and I think Lawrence right. Kasdan was uh, on there. But the thing was, is that even though they had different directors and writers, they still had someone there who had a plan, yeah, which was George. They had George sitting there going, okay, this is how this is going to play out. This is how this is going to play out. Here's your end point. Go. Whereas the sequels, they were just like, we're going to have different directors and writers, like almost as if they were like, well, we're going to copy the formula that worked for the original trilogy. But they left out the important part of that they had someone there to be the, the main point man. Right. Well, I mean, they they obviously got a hold of Filoni when they bought Lucasfilm because he was still working there at the time. But uh, I think he... He wasn't given his uh, given the opportunity to to do those things, and he again he was he was never had experience with feature length films, let alone television. So, uh, with the exception of Clone Wars, so they gave him Clone Wars, said you know finish up Clone Wars, do your last season, and then you know John Favreau came on board with the concept for Mandalorian, and I think that like we talked about earlier, they they're a good foil to each other. They oh, yeah. they play well yeah. off of each other. John's got the experience in in real in uh, live action, and and Dave's got the experience with characterization and writing and just the universe, and it the, it works well together. And again, it goes back to what Ken said: have a plan. Yeah, I, I think I mean ultimately, if if they do decide to make you know episodes ten, eleven, and twelve, or anything like that, if they do decide to do that, they need to go into it with a plan. But I mean, I think at this point, you know, e even with Ray doing whatever she does at the at the end of episode nine, 
I think that that saga is, for the most part, pretty well wrapped up. I mean, Ray's going to do what Ray's going to do. I mean, you can do a book on it. You can do a one-shot movie on it. But I think, for the most part, that saga is done. Now, I mean, I will say, especially with them announcing uh, a lot of the, the High Republic books and whatnot, I know a lot of people, myself included, are excited to see new, you know, entirely new sagas, unrelated to what we've seen before. And I mean, I personally, I'm I'm pretty excited if that ends up being the case because it'd it'd be nice to to kind of get that, you know, a cleansing of the palate, as it were. Where we're still getting, you know, we're still getting Star Wars, but we're trying a different dish on the menu now. Right. Yes. I just think the Skywalker saga. I mean, especially since legacy character actors are are dead or they're just done with the series or they're old. I think we might as well just move on. The right. the, the, the story of that family. It, it had its conclusion, and I think uh, just trying to do anything more is just trying to suck the last drops of you know money out of it. And I think it would just leave a sour taste. So yeah. I agree. Go ahead, move on to other stories. The galaxy's tens of thousands of years old, and you know a whole galaxy worth. Let's get other stories, and let's you know focus on a new generation of things absolutely and like old republic and high republic would be fantastic you oh, know yeah. i've heard lots of rumors of people like oh man make a movie adaptation of kotor and get keanu reeves as darth revan i would be on board with that because keanu is a delightful human being he pulls off yeah. some john wick moves along with lightsabers <laughs> oh that'd be so awesome yeah, I think uh, I think we could probably go on for another three hours with all of our theories on Star Wars and uh, where we want to see the universes go. But uh, you know, you've hung out with us for three and a half hours see, at this uh, point. It is three hours, eleven minutes, and thirty seconds at the beep. Beep. <laughs> so. Uh, I think, you know, that was our review of season two of The Mandalorian. Uh, We are very much looking forward to uh, season three and everything that's coming out in the Star Wars universe. Uh, And you never know, maybe we will maybe we will record some uh, reaction videos here in the upcoming year for some of the new series that are coming out. Um, I think we may uh, also, you know, we we got some we got some stuff in the hopper that we're thinking about doing to expand our repertoire as uh, as we'd like to say but um you know we'd like to thank you again for joining us tonight and uh, sticking with us throughout our review and our our random non sequiturs uh i'd also like to you know extend a, a thank you to my brother keenan for joining us and providing his fair insights and uh, opinions and comedy to our our little show here yeah definitely so thank thanks, thanks for hopping in keenan appreciate it buddy. yeah thank you i i loved it guys i was uh, a huge fan and uh being here with you guys talking you know nerdy for hours on hours so uh thank you very much for having me join in yes so for uh for non-sequitur nerds uh, i think we're going to sign off for tonight so uh, i will say uh have a good night stay safe happy new year uh i'm ian and i'm tim thanks for joining uh, us yep goodbye